Very special guest this week, everybody, on the Hydrated Mindset podcast. I really, really hope you listen to this one. Uh, everyone in the office was geeked out to hear this guy's interview. Real life Jason Bourne on the podcast. Mike Pannone, Marine Recon, Green Beret, and a Delta operator. Has operated at the highest levels of the military. And uh, if you've ever wanted to know how to smuggle a million dollars in cash through a foreign country. This is the podcast to listen to. I was flying with her. I was kind of escorting her, which is kind of comical because I'm like, I'm kind of preoccupied with, you know, a million dollars in cash and trying yeah. to get it into a country through another country, which is, it, it, that's where it gets dicey. We talked about leadership, communication, chaos, how to be situationally aware when you're out and about, all kinds of incredible topics in this two-hour podcast. You don't want to miss this one with Mike. Smash and like that subscribe button. Or Mike's gonna we're gonna send Mike to your house. On the podcast, Mike Panone, buddy, thank you so much. Um, appreciate you being here. So pre-show, we were talking about something that I want to jump into right away, <laughs> which was uh smuggling a million dollars into a country. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it's actually, uh, I sent Chris the, um, the article in New York Times called The Other Army, but uh, when I worked for Triple Canopy back when it was brand new, I was the first project manager hired at Triple Canopy. And real quick, and Mike, Triple Canopy is like a private contract. Triple Canopy is a contract. It's a private military industries company. It doesn't exist anymore. It was bought out by fucking somebody. I don't know. But anyway, because <laughs> those, 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 those uh, companies all change hands and get bought out and the bigger conglomerates, you know, buy them up. But um when we first got into Baghdad, I, I rolled into Baghdad um, on my second trip with, with TC in 2004. Um, so I was a project manager. I set up a site, all that. I came back off that rotation. And what we realized is a lot of stuff that we did was done in cash. It had to be done in cash. It's just it's not like you go to freaking banks and stuff there. So um, we would bring money in. And instead of hiring couriers, they would have guys like me, former unit guys. And they would give us two laptop bags with a you know box of cases with a half million dollars in each. And we would fly from Chicago to Baghdad. Damn. And so. And those, um, those types of deals, not to get specific on this one, those types yeah. of deals would range from just buying information. Uh, your anything you got, anything that you got to do, it's a cash economy there in, in you know, in, in wartime. Uh, and that, that region, a lot of stuff is just cash in general, but it was, if we needed vehicles, if we needed anything that we needed, there, there was no, like we weren't going to transfer funds to them electronically or anything. So, um, Everything was done. If you bought, if you hired people as cooks or to work on vehicles, it was all done in cash. Mm. Uh, so they, I get these uh, two um, laptop bags and um, they're laptop cases with a half million dollars in each. And they, uh, I was flying with one of our logistics guys. Uh, I can't remember his name. And if somebody listening, if they're if they were part of the crew, they'll know. We call him Lego because he's the guy that got us our Legos. Right? <laughs> um, and uh, I was with Lego's wife. I was. Um, I was flying with her. I was kind of escorting her, which is kind of comical because I'm like, I'm kind of preoccupied with, you know, a million dollars in cash and trying yeah. to get it into a country through another country, which is, it, it, that's where it gets dicey. So uh, we fly into Jordan. Now, are you flying to, as civilians at this point? Like you're literally taking yeah. airports? Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we fly into Jordan and um, you have to stay in Jordan overnight so they can get their airport tax and the usual stuff. So you, you got to leave the airport. You've got to go to Jordan, spend the night there, you know, get a hotel room, all that. So that, you know, it's it, for trade and, and such. So I land in Jordan, we leave the airport. <clears throat> uh, and I, I don't know how, like I walked through customs and they never asked to look at anything, which is kind of, kind of cool. Very fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, what happens if they do ask you? That's what I was going to ask. 
Uh, probably end up in secondary, um, getting interviewed, and then hopefully, um, I, I, like, I don't know, man. I don't know what the, the Jordan is to do. I, I know that a million dollars in cash. Questionable. Like, just think of it this way. What if you were in Denver in a hotel room and the wrong people knew you had a million dollars in cash? Yeah. I mean, they're going to try to kill you and rob you, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, the try part is kind of a, like a foregone conclusion. They're going, they're right. going to have a million dollars and you won't. We know that. So <laughs> Easy, so Mike. I don't really, I can, I'm, I don't I'm pretty really tough, know. bro. I'm, I'm huge. I got guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, I didn't. I was in, I was in La Meridian with like, the, like, I didn't even have a freaking folding knife. Wow. I'm, I'm in a hotel room in La Meridian with a million dollars in cash. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's this yeah, is interesting. Yeah, because like, you can't travel thinking, with any kind of like weapons, obviously. So, no, yeah, no. You're just so I'm sitting there and I'm like, luck. and I'm supposed to be escorting Lego's wife, which is like, I'm like, okay, great, whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, babysitting somebody who's never traveled internationally. I don't think. But uh, so I'm sitting in my room. It's funny because I remember sitting there going, "Wow, if if the wrong person knows I have a million dollars, I will not see the sunrise." Like, I'll just disappear from the face of the earth. I just, I checked into a hotel and then, I don't know, he just wandered off in the city. Like, shit like that happens in real life. It's crazy to think, too, with your training, because we're going to get into that, but, like, all the training you have and you're still super paranoid that someone could find out and bring bring 20 guys to the room and just take, you're gone. I mean, think about it. What would it take in, in, in certain countries to walk up to the front desk and go, hey, guess what? We're looking for this guy and we want a key to his room. Because, mm. like, they're to me, gonna they're going to go, oh, yeah, and they're going to give a key to the room. Then they're going to go, okay, we don't want anybody on the third floor for the, for an hour. Yeah, like, yeah. Dude, it's, it's real life. Like, so, Mike, to me, because the embassy and disappeared. So, you have like six people in the office listening to this. You're a hero to everyone in here. You're <laughs> like, to me, the way Chris talks about you, number one, I couldn't wait to meet you. Number two, I can't wait to get you out here. Number three, I admire you a ton. And number four, to me, you're like Jason Bourne. So this, <laughs> dude, so, this story for me is like. It's, it, dude, it's funny because I appreciate that, man. It's just, I'm just some freaking Italian kid from New Jersey, dude, that like is creative. Like I can figure shit out because I've had to. But mm. it's like, so I, I'm in the hotel, I'm in the Meridian. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm basically screwed. Like I'm going to get jacked if, if the wrong people know. Um, and so <clears throat> I, 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 call, I call Lego, um, I call his wife. Um, and I'm like, Hey, listen, can you come down here? Like, I need to talk to her for a little bit. And of course she doesn't know me. She's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to come down to your hotel room in Jordan. Like, and like, <laughs> but I thought I'm like, no, it's not like, that. Trust me. Yeah, pump the brakes, Mike. <laughs> yeah. We got bigger problems. <laughs> so she, and she's a, she's a, she's bang hot. So yeah. she comes down. I'm like, listen, here's the deal. Uh, I have a million dollars in cash and I have to get it through customs to get it into Baghdad. And she goes, she goes, Oh wow. How are you going to do that? And I'm like, <laughs> You mean how are we gonna do that? <laughs> because yeah. you're with me, like you're traveling with me, so like I need your help. So I, I, I basically had her dress really nice so that they would all be preoccupied with her, mm. and and like basically treat me like just kind of treat me like a bitch, like ah, oh, like you know, treat me like like a child in front of those guys. And in that culture, they'll just laugh at me and like look at him, he's a little bitch, he's getting bossed around by some chick, <laughs> and they're gonna be looking at her. Cause Wait, that's clever. All- so you're saying have her treat you like shit. So they don't yeah. think you're a threat. So, yeah. Mm. Just like to draw them off. Culturally, they'll look at me and go, oh, what a punk. And then they're looking at her going, whoa, look at the, look at the rack on her. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. and then I'm like, hey, you know, all your, put your like, I know you brought like some like cool stuff to, you know, wear for your boy. So just put it on, put it on top. So when they go through their luggage, they're like, oh, Victoria's Secrets. Oh, they're all, they're looking at the hot chick. And I'm like, I'm over here doing nothing. 
nothing, nothing going on here. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I just, I, I had her draw attention. I just coasted on through. They looked at, at my stuff. I had my, my two laptop cases at my feet, not on the counter with my bag. So like going through all my shit, they get done. They pull the bag off. I pick up my cases and walk on the plane. Wow. Were you, so, so like leading up to that again, with your military background and training, which puts you in the top, obviously zero, zero, one percent of people in the world. Are you already thinking of how to defend and exit? And, and did you already sort of fortify? Did you have like a sharpened well, pen in yeah, your pocket? You know what I thought? You, you ever been in one of those like, like situations where you're like, wow, man, if this goes bad, I'm screwed. Wow. Like, that's all I got. I got, what's your back plan? My back plan is, I hope I'm not screwed too bad. Like, there's not, there wasn't much I could do. I'm a captive audience. I'm in a controlled area. They, they have every benefit. And so it's funny because I, I, I get on the plane. Now I'm waiting for them. First thing I'm doing is like, okay, once they close the door, effectively, like by, by like whatever national FAA kind of thing, like I don't know what, what governs, what the governing body is for aircraft. Once the door is closed, the, the flight's departed. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm in another country and I'm like, eh, every once in a while people just go, guess what? We just changed the rules. Bring the plane back. So yeah. I'm like, okay, what if they saw something on video? What if I'm, I'm kind of thinking, man, okay, the door's closed. Block one, we're good so far. And then we start taxing. I'm like, okay, we're taxing. We're still good. I'm sitting there going, okay, it's not cool until we take off. Then we take off. I'm like, yes, we're good. So <laughs> Cocktail. Flying. Cocktail. Yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, bro. I, was throwing, <laughs> I was throwing them down like they were going to outlaw booze in the morning. So My, um, I got a question for you. So what you got? I, I got two actually. So how close was this to the start of the war? Like post 9-11, right? You're talking, you're saying Baghdad. So that was, was this close to this when we invaded? This is 2004, bro. Okay. This is 2004. Wow. So yeah. not long. We're knee deep in it. And then two, why, why would they send you like that? Why couldn't they just put you on a military plane? Even though you're a private contractor, I still know that they, they work side by side. Why couldn't they just put you two reasons. with an escort? Two reasons that I'll tell you. Two reasons that I can think of. One, okay, uno, because they're cheap. <laughs> and two, because wow. they knew I could pull it off. They picked wow. guys, they picked us because they knew we could pull it off because we're like, we're the make shit happen guys. Like, hey, man, like the, the, the make, make the impossible possible kind of shit. Like most people are like, oh my God, I can't do that. I was like, okay, so you want me to take this there? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll figure it out. Like we're the figured out guy. That's, that's come from our, from our background and our screening. That's kind of one of the, one of the, the psychological makeup profile kind of things. Like we could just figure stuff out. Like we just make stuff happen. Like it's not, I can't do that. It's how do I do that? Yeah. Like, you know, the, the instant response is, oh my God, you can't do that. That's not the real response. The response we have is, okay, shit, that's pretty difficult. How do we do it? So, you know, I would say for anyone listening, that's a perfect point of spot to point out that in life, figure it out. Yeah. Figure it the fuck yeah. out. Oh, There's an yes. answer to every problem you have from business to relation, like, especially in business, everyone out there trying to succeed. I see so many people in business who get like a one word answer email or hit a roadblock or someone will tell them it can't be done. And they accept that data and stop in their tracks. There's always an answer. Yeah. Change, yeah, change the framework, an, right? Like, how yeah. do I get it done? Not, it can't be done. I, yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's one of those things. Like, you don't, you're insta if, you're, if your response immediately is, it can't be done, then you just answer the question. It can't mm. be done because you're not willing to do it. You're, yeah. not, you're not psychological cap psychologically capable of accepting the idea that this is actually doable. I look at it and go, dude, Everything's doable. It's just a matter of if I've got the brain power to figure out how to do it. That's all. So, mm, or the energy. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So we get so back to the back to the freaking 
my 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 Jason Bourne slash MacGyver slash <laughs> bubbling through shit. Yeah, I yeah. get on the plane. I land in Baghdad. I drop off the cash. You know, I'm there for a little bit, and then I get on. I get on a plane. Um, and and then the anxiety is just as high when you land in Baghdad, right? You're like, fuck if. I, at least I got a crew in Baghdad. Mm. Yeah, My because crew is in Baghdad, so I'm, I I got guys that that have connections and you know. Well, the, so, at, the, at that point, the U.S. had the the airport, right or no? Yes. So yes. you and you I've were got, dealing with Americans when you got there, and mm-hmm. you're like, mm-hmm. listen, you there were call there were Iraqi person. counterparts, but there were Americans, LNOs, like liaison officers, and all that there. So I I had somewhere I had you know I had a safe space <laughs> to run to if if shit got dicey, mm, yeah. um, and so, I, I landed and my 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 crew was right there, like there were dudes waiting there for me right there. So I was, I was good. So we get, we get off in Baghdad. I, I go there and hang out for a little bit, see what's up, you know, drop off the freaking, the, the, the scratch. And then I, I, you know, a couple days later, get on a plane and fly back. So it's funny. I land in Jordan because I have to land in Jordan and then spend the night in Jordan and then fly back to the States. So as I'm, as I, I, I land and I'm walking up the freaking jetway, I'm like, I'm going to go to the Meridian and I'm going to freaking hit a giant steak and some freaking, you know, a couple, so it's couple a nice of nice scotches. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is good. They got a great workout area. They got some smoking hot Russian chick that works in there for eye candy. I'm like, this is going to be cool. I'm going to have a day here to just chill and all. I'm walking up the jetway and there's two friggin' pipe hitters, like six, four, two fifty, standing at the, at the, at where you, where you go into the gate area. And I remember chuckling going, I'll bet those brothers are here to see me. <laughs> I walk up and they're like, Mr. Pannone. I'm like, Hi, how you doing? They're like, could we talk to you for a minute? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, what am I saying? No. Yeah. Who were they? And like, these are Jordanian uh, military. They were, they were they were Jordanian security. Gotcha. I didn't know Jordanians could get that big. Oh, they're they, big. They, yeah. They got are they? Some, they got some big brothers over there. Don't kid yourself. They got some big dudes. <laughs> and that, so they yeah. so you're like so are you start panicking? Or are you like oh shit? Uh, what happened? Nah, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a panicky kind of dude. So I was just like I just laugh. I'm like well here we go. I guess whatever's about to happen is about to happen. So let's see. They just wanted like, they're like, Hey, what are you doing? Well, what, what, you know, what, what, what's this? What's that? What were you doing here? Why were you like, what were you carrying here? I was like, Oh, just two, you know, two laptops. Why do you have two laptops? Uh, Cause I'm bringing them in country to drop them off. And well, two of them, there's just <laughs> laptops. I'm like, yeah, laptops, man. Like I'm pretty good at like, I wasn't always an upstanding citizen when I was a young man. Yeah. And so I could <laughs> talk to the police and tell them and tell them that I didn't do stuff that maybe I did. Just saying. Yeah. So I was like, no, man, I just laptops, bro. I just, yeah, I'd bring them in and then dropping them off. And then, so there wasn't anything, you know, nothing like, no. So why didn't you, like, why did you have them on the ground next to you? I'm like, I just set them down because my bag was on top, man. I just, I don't know. No real reason. Uh, so they reviewed they, the footage. And they, and they start, they, they asked me a couple questions. I'm like, I wasn't, I mean, it's not like I was trying to hide them. They were right there by my feet. I was walking. I mean, like, I don't know. Just. And in, in an example like that, what are they looking for? So they basically reviewed the footage, saw that you did that. Looking saw that for you were, me to be shifty when I come back, probably. Looking for me to be like, oh, I, um, uh, uh. But are they looking for like drug dealers or at that time, are they looking for military people they, who are. My, okay, so I had gone through there before and I had brought a bunch of equipment in. I had brought optics and, you know, freaking ACOGs and, and EOTECs and aim points and tools and all kinds of stuff. And they mark all that stuff down. Mm. And so they're looking in their database and going, here's a guy bringing stuff into the country and leaving with nothing. I'm bringing stuff in and leaving with nothing. And so I don't know if they think it's a smuggler. They don't know what I'm bringing in, but they know that I show up with stuff and I come home without stuff. So, yeah. you know, that, that puts me up on the radar, which is funny because I did a job last year in Jordan and I, I, uh, I show up and I, I screen my passport to some security thing that I did. And um, they're like, oh, um, 
Mr. Padone, welcome to Jordan. Have you been here before? And I'm like, yeah, not for a while. And they're like, uh, yes, it shows that you were here on such and such and such and such and such and such. I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm like, well, welcome back. Like, <laughs> that was nice. So at yeah, that point, thanks. at that point when they stopped you coming back, did you know you're like, okay, I can't, I can't get away with this again. Like say the company asked you to do that again. You're oh, like, yeah. listen yeah. guys, you need somebody else because yeah, it's they're, like, dude, I'm, I'm they're noticing I'm me. I'm burned. I'm on, like, I obviously have a file now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that's Naga, Naga, not going to work anymore. So, but yeah, I was just like, I just thinking about the only thing I was thinking when I'm walking up, I'm like, these guys are going to want it. They're going to want to chat with me a little bit. And I, I, I got to be cool. Otherwise, you know, it's like it could get unfortunate in, in whatever way. I have no idea. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know. Maybe they're going to, you know, just friggin', you know, reprimand me and tell me not to come back. I have no idea. All I know is that they were not amused by it. You know that. <laughs> so but just one of those things. But that's that's the like going like back to my past life, man. That's like the Wild West days of the war were freaking Wild West days, dude. There were some crazy like we did some stuff that now people be like, wow. And we had to like to, to, to survive, so to speak. I mean, it's like I showed up in country. We didn't even have a contract. In yeah. 04. What does that like, for we, people who aren't familiar? What does that mean? You show up in country without a contract. I, I, we, we, we landed in Jordan. We drove into Baghdad. We didn't have a contract yet. So no, like, so hey, basically that means like no cover. No one even knows you're there. Nothing. You're not supposed no, to be No, we just show there. up and we're like, we're, we're just, we're just freelancing it, bro. You know, getting our, getting our, our weapons from captured stockpiles or buying them on the black market or like, it, it's literally, it was gangster. It was Wow. Gangster. So you'd have to, um, you'd have to fly into country, no contract. So again, cause the oh, things I know about country, we flew into another country and then drove across the border. That's nuts. Cause the things I know about the, you know, obviously with military, you know what? And I think I'd love to get into sort of your stair step from recon to Delta yeah. Um, cause I just think Delta is so fascinating. It's like the, the best of the best and force recon is so crazy. And I, for those of you who, and Mike, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, force recon guys are crazy because you're going in undercover. Uh, it's forced recon, right? So you're, you're, you're you you do not have a lot of cover. You, it's you're, a, it's a, it's a, it's a uniformed, like low visibility reconnaissance asset that also has a whole bunch of other capabilities has, has really high end um, direct action capabilities like you know raids and stuff like that it's just it's a very it's a special operations unit that the marine corps just refused to say was a special operations unit funny because i'm actually wearing it repping it <laughs> um, but uh yeah it's it was it was um it 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 is still a, a really phenomenal organization and asset and it is over the years it has become um, better and better and better at levels that, that we didn't even dream of back in the day. I mean, it, they're, the guys now are like the, the schooling they get and the pipelines they get for different, excuse me, different training is amazing. So, uh, I'm you guys still, go I'm into country though, man. It's, it, it's a lot of like that story where you flew in, you're getting, you don't have a contract. Isn't one of the things with military to know one of the, one of the things that not makes you comfortable, but gives you confidence is knowing that other people know you're there. Um, yeah. you have air support, yeah. drone support, other support. Exactly. So you're coming into a country with basically no one knows you're there. So if shit does hit the fan, you're like, there's 10 of us. You're not even there legally. Dude, you're literally not even there legally. Like, you're not supposed to be there. That's scary. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those things, man. I've always been like, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, you know, hoodlum 
Italian kid from New Jersey kind of shit. Like you just, you're like, screw <laughs> it, man. Let's do this. Let's yeah. do it. Like I, I, my, my brother used to say it, man. I laugh at it, it, you know, all the time. He's like, cause I'm the youngest of five, you know, freaking big Italian family. And he's like, you're the only one in the family that accelerates into collisions. Like, <laughs> That's because you guys all beat me up when I was a kid. Yeah. It's your fault. Yeah, it's exactly, because you fuckers leaned on me so hard. <laughs> yeah. like, I guess that's how it's done. So how did, you, so how did you start in the military? Did it start with just basic and then force recon and then Delta? I went, I went through the whole, like I went. Green Berets. I started out, uh, I was in, I played lacrosse in college in Rochester. And then um, my family had a bunch of financial issues because they got basically, my dad got ripped off in a, uh, by a company in Europe. And they lost, lost our business. We had a precious metals refinery, like refined gold and silver and stuff like that. Like on a big level, not like a little furnace in your, in your basement. Like what one of our, just to, to, to understand the scale, we would do uh, 70,000 ounce pours. So a 70 ounce wow. bar or a thousand ounce bar is 62 and a half pounds. We would do 70 of those in one furnace pour. We would do two a day. Wow. So that's the kind of, that's, that's what you're talking about. Um, and we, we, like one of the contracts was we had, um, old photographic film for a reconnaissance film that was black and white. Well, they use silver nitrate in black and white. So we would take the, the film pallets and pallets of film, burn it in incinerators and then leach it down to get the silver out of the silver nitrate and then pour that into bars and send it back to the government. Like that kind of refinery. It wasn't like a little thing. It was kind of a big thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, <clears throat> They lost, they lost their ass to, in, in Europe, in Germany, on a, on a, in a court case. And one day they called me up, which is the beginning of my freaking living hard part. They called me up and were like, hey, listen, uh, we kind of lost the business. I'm like, what? And they're like, <laughs> and we lost the house. We lost everything. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, well, so uh, what about me here in Rochester, New York, in the dead of winter? And they're like, well, you're, you're kind of on your own. Wow. So... I had no, I had nothing. I had no money. I had nothing. I didn't have a job. So I, um, I like slept in a car for two weeks, um, working like three different jobs until I could get a place that I could afford to live in, sleeping on an air mattress in somebody's basement. And so I left there, went to Nantucket Island, which is where my sister lived. And I worked there, um, on a masonry crew as a, as a tender. My grandfather was actually a mason, like a, like a really talented one. So I knew how to, I knew how to, you know, lay block and stuff like that. But the way the system works, you don't get to do any of that until you mix mud and carry block for a long time. So I basically had an eight hour a day workout mixing mud and carrying block. And I ended up, you know, getting, hanging with the same people that I was hanging with before, which is probably wasn't the best group of individuals that I could for, you know, if I'm trying <laughs> to set myself up for success, yeah. I would say. So one day I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to make a big change. I just Flew over to Hyannis because at that point I was working for the airline for Providence Bedford Airline, doing uh, mech checks and parking aircraft and stuff like that, like flagging the dude on the runway, flagging him in and all that stuff. On, um, I flew to Hyannis, just walked and said, "Hey, I want to join the Marine Corps and be an infantryman." The guy was like, "Okay." So I started, <laughs> went through that. And it's like I, he said, "Well, the earliest we can get you out is in two months." I'm like, okay, well then, you know, log me in. I flew back, and uh, I. I got a phone call. I was at my sister's house. Phone rings. I was staying in like, like a little room in her house and downstairs. Phone rings. And I'm, at the time, I'm actually kind of liquored up. And they, I'm like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, this is Sergeant. This is Staff Sergeant Cropper. And I'm like, uh, yeah? Who are you? He's like, the dude that you just joined the Marine Corps with? I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, what's up, man? <laughs> and, uh, he's like, hey, uh, do you want to leave sooner than two months? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, can you leave in two days? I was like, fuck it. Yeah. 
So literally, I just like out of nowhere, just jumped on a plane, went to Paris Island, and that started it. And it, um, that's the whole that the beginning of it. Went through that. Went through when you know it was an infantryman, and then took this. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, the Indoc for Second Recon, actually Second Recon Battalion, and made it. I was actually screened to be uh, before my face got all fucking blown up and shit. I wasn't a half bad looking dude. I got screened because they do it all on looks, looks and your and your uh, your GT score. So I was screened to do Presidential Guard in mm. Camp David, and I made it all the way through. And you know, because I had good formal education, and all that. So um, I, I take the Indoc for recon, and I'm like, oh, dude, I totally want to do this. I don't want to. I talk to guys about the Presidential Guard program. They're like, you're just a freaking security guard for your first four years before you do anything worth anything. So. Um, I take the indoc for second recon. I make it, um, get selected, and then I go back to my company commander in the in the in the infantry course there. You know the uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, School of Infantry. And I'm like, hey, sir. You know, can I can I talk to you about my you know my my um, posting for Camp David? And he's like, oh yeah, just come in, Marine. I walk in there and do my all my Marine shit, and then um. Decided I was the most unmilitary fucker that was ever promoted ahead of his peers. <laughs> just saying, and I was told that at my promotion ceremony. But um, so I walk in, I'm like, "Sir, I want a, I want a DOR from the uh, Camp David program. Drop on request." And he's like, "Why?" And I'm like, "So, so right now, here's Mike about to step on his dick with golf shoes." Um, <laughs> I go, "Okay." I'm like, "Well, sir, I joined the Marine Corps to be a Marine, not to be a security guard." And the dude freaking detonates. Because he had just come from Camp David as an officer. Oh, so man. I basically just shit on his whole crew. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, I don't want to be a security guard bitch like you guys. Yeah. He's like, Whoops. what? He fucking blows up. Know your audience. That, yeah. Like, <laughs> ee, that was great moments and bad timing for Mike. So um, he's like, you're going to a Victor unit. a deploying unit. He's like, you're going to Okinawa. You're going to the Rock for a year. And blah. He's like, basically, it's like almost like a punitive thing. Like, I'm going to send you the shittiest place because you're a, you know, you're a mouthy freaking private first class or whatever. I've heard Okinawa's kind of dope. Oh, it totally was. was yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've heard Okinawa's dope. So it, wait, so... It so way dope, and so, it deploys from Okinawa. You're in Thailand, Philippines, Korea, you know, Malaysia. Yeah, party time. Thing. Just saying, party bro. time. <laughs> party time. So, so, yeah. so, so was the first sort of special forces unit for you Green Beret? Because I knew a no. Green Beret. Oh, no. Okay, reconnaissance. So I started, I'd like, it's, it's not sanctioned, but the first special unit I was in, I was never in a regular unit. I never spent a day in a regular unit. Got it. I spent right, I went right to reconnaissance. So those guys, when they, when they sent me off, I had a platoon sergeant in my training group who liked me. He was a grumpy fucker, but he liked me. He's like, I got ready to get on a bus to go to, you know, the infantry unit to go to, to you know, to get sent over to Okinawa. He's like, hey, put on, fuck, get over here. I'm over like, hey, Gunny, what's up? He's like, hands me a fucking envelope. He goes, open it on the bus. You fucking owe me. I was like, okay, get on the bus. <laughs> and I had orders to go to the, go to the basic reconnaissance course. At the time it was called the amphibious reconnaissance school. I had orders to go there and then go to Okinawa. He couldn't get me out of Okinawa, but I was going to Okinawa to third recon battalion. Mm. And so what's my, totally hooked me up. what's the training like? Cause like, so I know a green beret and obviously everybody knows seals and sort of kind of gets, or at least hears about some of the training. <laughs> One of the things I heard in Green Beret school is once they mar you do the march, they get you to the swamp. Uh, there was this famous story that this guy always told us where, you know, you haven't eaten in five days. They've made you march 30 miles across this mountain. You, they in, you end in a swamp, he said, for his. And the instructor would come out in a, a clean press uniform drinking a Coca-Cola and eating a donut, just trying to break guys. Was your reconnaissance training that hard? Can you, like, was it, was it super it intense? Was it was, it was actually, it was actually, when I went to the Amphibian Recon School, it was actually really, it was really intense. It was, um, it was, 
Is it like it the whole five day physical. they're trying to break you, your psyche, break well, you we down? Had a thing called, it's funny, we had a thing called the bone pole. And, and it was a pole like a skeleton. And every time somebody would quit, they'd hang a bone on the skeleton. It's like, but um, it was, it was, a, it was old school. It was abusive in mm. a lot of ways. Like now there's a lot of shit you couldn't do. Like what? Um, now. Like guys would, they would go in when, dude, you're, you're so fucking tired. It's like your body's just falling apart. You're, you're burning four to 5,000 calories a day. Your body just can't assimilate nutrition that fast. Yeah. Like you'll eat so much food that you're, you feel like you're going to burst. And an hour later, you're famished. You're so hungry. Yeah. But guys are so tired. They're, they're, they're starting to fall asleep in class. So they'll close the door. Like you're waiting for the instructor to come in and they'll turn out the lights. Oh. And you're like, dude, like you're, and now you're trying to stay awake in the dark. But so, and, and to, like, for those who don't know, like a freaking, you can't hanging. fall asleep, right? Like that's part of the that's part of no, the game. No, yeah. that's, that's like yeah, you'll get you'll get crushed. And so um, they do shit like that. Or if you would fall asleep, like one time I fell asleep in class, and we had this guy, Sergeant Hank, Mike Hank, awesome dude, um, big <laughs> freaking like thick redheaded dude. He was Canadian, came in the Marine Corps. He was a freaking he was a like he was one of those dudes that's like legendary dudes from my peer group know him, and. Um, we used to like behind the scenes, we would say it to his face because the dude will freaking tune up. He's like a boxer in Canada and shit. He's a yeah, badass. Yeah. But we he had red hair, light skin. We used to call him Little Red Riding Hood, like amongst <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm sitting in class and I'm looking at Sergeant Hank, and all of a sudden he's Little Red Riding Hood. He's like dressed like Little Red Riding Hood. I'm just hallucinating. I'm so freaking tired. <laughs> and then I, I hear blown, and I'm like, I'm like, oh shit, busted. So they, they make me, they call it the thinking position. So you get in the push-up position. Now you put your elbows on the ground and your hands on your face. <laughs> and it's like a plank, but on your elbows. And oh, that's nice. how you, you go through the rest of the class. The like, so you're, saying, you're saying they can't do stuff like that anymore? No. no that seems can't. wild. It's, like, it's I thought considered you were... harassment. Because it is harassment. I mean, just straight up. That's what it was. But isn't, but isn't but that... Like, did you see that Navy SEAL article that was going around where someone was like... They had to the sing the tear gas happy birthday thing. And, and uh, who was it? Was it Tim Kennedy? Yeah, who who came out against it and was like, yeah, training for war is the toughest thing. It should be hard. It's, I you know what? I don't mind hard shit at all. Like I don't I don't mind it. I don't like stupid shit. Like it, it's there's got to be some redeeming value to it. Like if you if so if, you kind of like the change benefit. What's that? You kind of like the change that they're they're not as harass. It's not as harassing. I don't I don't like I don't like grab ass harassment. Like yeah yeah. I, I just I like, I like shit that's hard. Like I was, when I was in SF, I was a pre-scuba instructor and I did, um, pre-scuba is really fucking hard. Like it's miserable two weeks. It's just misery. When I, when I was an instructor, I did every single event with the students to standard, just like I'm talking to you. It's like, yeah, it's okay guys. We're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That. Everything I did. And so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't scream and yell at people. I didn't, that wasn't, that, that's not my thing. Like my job was to get you to be capable of doing certain things and you know, it's like I, I was I was actually against all the guys, like the harassment part of it. I'm like, this mm. is hard enough as it is. Like, we don't have to fuck with people. This is just hard. And again, to so, clarify, you're talking about like in buds when they when they're just like going in on people and making fun of them yeah, and fucking yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's that's one of the things the army side is different from the navy side. SF and 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 the unit are different. There's no like this when I went through SF selection or, or unit selection, there's no screaming and yelling. They're like, hey, did you make it or you don't? Like the 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 it's uh JFC Fuller is an old military guy. He said that, you know, someone that one of his famous quotes is a man that needs to be driven isn't worth the driving. Like if I've got to stand like over that. your shoulder and pound on you to make you do stuff, then I can't trust you to do it when I'm not there. Like I, you have, you have no intrinsic motivation. And that's, 
the, the precept on the army side was that you got to fig- you got to find it in you. You got to reach inside you mm. and go. I'm going to endure this and I'm going to excel at it. Because if I got to, if I've got to beat you into submission, then it only works when I'm there to beat you into submission. It's just a different. It's a completely different mindset. That could so, be a success principle for businesses too. Like if you have to beat it out. Yeah, if you have to beat it out of yeah. people, they probably don't belong, right? Like no, they don't want they're it. Not, they're enough. not. They're not invested in it emotionally. Mm. They're not. They're not like you got to want it. I mean. Just from coming from my from you know my background you know wrestling and stuff it's like you gotta want to be a good wrestler you gotta be you gotta like desire it and like for for Chris with what he does you gotta really want it you can't just yeah. it can't be like a an afterthought like yeah maybe I'll get into the whole MMA thing like, no. <laughs> yeah. That's not how, yeah, you man. can't fake that sounds fun you can't yeah. fake that yeah. <laughs> I mean we saw like, some and so the, the, they're looking for people that do that so it's a different it's so a Mike different we have anyway a- I went through. Oh, go ahead, buddy. Oh, we have a question no, from uh, Gina, who's cool. listening. She's uh, she's also a big fan. She wanted to come up and just listen to this again. You have fans already at the company. She wow. a question from the audience. Uh, does he think that the training for war is efficient? Could military do more to prepare infantrymen or special ops? <clears throat> uh, it's. I don't think it's nearly as good as it could be. It's gotten better over the years. Um, I don't. A couple things that I see. One, I'm not one of the like freaking rah rah, you're a killer freaking thing. Like all that, all the that that um, false motivation stuff. Throw that out the window. One, two. Uh, they need to put more emphasis on hard skills, on just you know shooting and and um, the particular technical stuff that they're required to do. They need, they need to put more time in legitimately effective training for tactics and stuff like that. They're doing, they're trying to do the best they can. But what you have is everybody's afraid to do stuff where people might get hurt. And you're talking about people going to war. Mm. So, I mean, it's like outside of special units, special units have accelerated in, in one direction. They've added a whole lot more applicable, realistic training. I think on the regular side, you're managing such large numbers that it's difficult. Um, I just... I, I'm, I'm, I just come from a different sliver of the military. And so it's yeah, hard yeah. for me mm. because I never, I was never in a regular unit. I was in an all volunteer airborne <laughs> waterborne unit the whole time that, that like, so everybody there wanted to be there. Mm. So I don't know how you can manage people that are just there to get their college money and make them do hard shit. It's uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. You know, I, so Mike, I got a question. I know we're bouncing around a little bit um, okay. because you were in uh, reconnaissance Mm-hmm. which so you left the marine corps right so we'll fast forward mm-hmm. into uh sf or did you have yeah. to join the army special first? forces if you're not yeah. familiar with the yeah. acronym did you have to you just did you have to join the army as like infantry first and work your way up there or were you able to transfer because those are two yeah. different branches of the military yeah um, yeah I, I was so, always curious about that yeah i i went straight over the way it worked at the time you couldn't do i could do an inter-service transfer I was actually in Fourth Force Reconnaissance Company in the reserves in Hawaii, going to University of Hawaii. Oh, that doesn't And a suck. dude walked into a gun shop that I worked at at night um, on my off time and saw the watch that I had. I had a really note, it was called Chronosport. Some fucking asshole stole it. But um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a very rare watch. And he's like, where'd you get that? I told him. And he said, do you ever think about joining the army? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he goes, did you ever think about going into SF? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, we have a program you could come right over and go into SF. And it was the 18 x-ray program. It was brand new. And so that's how I started. So what happened is my contract ended at like midnight on Tuesday, like right at 0000, you know, or 2359.59. 59. 
And at zero, 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 and one second, I was in the army. So I had, a, I had like a break in service of like an hour, some wow. shit like that on paper. So I actually left the Marine Corps and then went into the army. So, and then because I was already a, an, an infantryman and reconnaissance Marine and airborne and scuba qualified and all that, I didn't have to go through any of, I didn't have to go to basic training, none of that. I just went right to Fort Bragg um, and went into holding. And then I went to uh, uh, SF selection and then I went to the Q course. Yeah. So, okay. so Mike, what is, so I'm fascinated with Delta. So is, mm-hmm. is Delta, Delta is the, the elite of the elite from all branches. So do they pull from, they pull from SEALs, Green Beret, uh, they, they pull from special forces to create an elite special forces unit. Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. And then this, they, this would be fast yeah, forwarding they, a little bit too, right? Cause you spent yeah. time on the teams for a bit mm-hmm. before. Uh, yeah. I was in SF for seven years or whatever. Wow. Before I went to the unit. Yeah. Wow. So special so, forces for, uh, this would be interesting the for the audience. Like special forces, yeah. if you could encapsulate that, what does that mean? Like it's, it, it, it's a, it's almost like a, like a facilitator kind of unit. Like we work with, with host nations at the time before the, the GWAT kicked off before the global war on terrorism kicked off, we were training other militaries. Like we were helping stand up the new improved version of the Thai military or the Philippine military, or we were enhancing capabilities in the Korean military. We would go over um, uh, doing J sets, joint combined exercise training, and we would we would work with those those company those um, countries, helping enhance their capabilities in special operations or at the at the regular level. We were training people. Okay, what, and what would be a off, typical op for a special op operator unit? Like what, like what, what pre G one? Yeah, no, I, I'm just like, I'm trying to paint a picture for people. How gangster you fucking guys are. I'll give you you one. We went, um, we went to Papua New Guinea. All right. We went to New Guinea and we trained the New Guinea defense force as, um, they were going to be a, um, a partner unit with the UN going to Bougainville to fight the Bougainville resistance army who were killing miners and stuff like that. Because in Bougainville, the Australians were mining copper and other stuff. And the people that lived in Bougainville were not down with that because they weren't getting a cut. And so there was all kinds of unrest and there was fighting, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so we were training them to go to Bougainville. We were their pre-deployment training. So we roll in there and we're there for a month training these guys. And then when we're done, we freaking wave off and they go to, they go to fight in Bougainville. Wow. So and are you the training them... Some of that training, because it, it, I have another question that we'll get to later about sort of how much the military is involved in other countries. I think it's fascinating. Um, are you training them in special warfare? Because they, they almost have to be like a ragtag sort of, they're not like a full military. So you're, are you training them no. in tactics that, that, that are not extreme, but like, what's the word I'm no. looking for? Uh, Here, more advanced. I know what you're talking about. Here's the deal, man. The, the, you know, um, there's no advanced, like it, it, even at the unit, when I was at Delta, we don't, we don't do, there's no secret tactics or special, it's all the same. We just do it really, really good on demand, really fast with a level of precision, precision that's unparalleled. But infantry tactics are infantry tactics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had one of our sergeant majors, when I got, when I got there, told us like, you're just, you guys aren't special. Like you're, you're unique because you have special capabilities as people and we screen you and train you, blah, blah, blah. But you're just like super duper freaking infantrymen. Really, yeah. just really, really good at the basic stuff that you can apply it and adapt it and modify it at, at a pace that other people just can't. It's like, and, and then you add in the, the physical, you know, coefficient, like there's, there's a lot of stuff like 
I was, I mean, I used to do, I could do sets of 20 pull-ups. I could run sub five minute miles. I could do crazy shit. And I was just Jason another Bourne. dude there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, I showed up and I was, I was, I was all that where I came from and I showed up and I was just, you know, freaking roster number 326 kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, not, so Mike, in those special it's a, it's forces units, team, bro. in those special forces units, that's interesting. Cause like when you look at seal stuff and that kind of thing, each one of those guys has a very specific role on the team, which I'm guessing on infantry you do too. So there isn't any special weapons training or uh, counterintelligence training or uh, in those Delta units or special forces units. You guys are just literally just the elite. You're just better, faster, quicker. We have a lot of very unique, very specialized training that capitalizes on our foundational capabilities as, like I said, really good infantrymen. But it's we have that. But there's there's a there is there is a. Um, the, the foundation of it all is just being really good at soldiering, like v- being exceptionally good at soldiering. It's the and you it's, add in, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that there's, you know, freaking vehicle procurement or surreptitious entry. There's a lot of stuff that you do. I love the sound really of that. Surreptitious. Sere- <laughs> Say it again. Surreptitious. Surreptitious entry. I love that. Yeah. It's the, uh, yeah. you're saying it's like the Bruce Lee thing, right? 10,000 hours. Like you guys just spent more time. Mm being precise on all the fundamentals and basics and just yeah. being experts at it. What do you think is something yeah. you learned in special forces that still served you now? Um, that to, to creatively problem solve, to look at what we talked about earlier on, to look at a problem and go, and don't go, wow, I can't solve that. Look at it and go, okay, how am I going to solve that? And then to be able to start at the end state, go, this is what in a perfect world, if I make this all, if I make it the way I want it to be, it's going to look like this. And then I reverse engineer the solution. So like, to, in other words, this is the mission. This is the objective. How do I yeah. reverse engineer that? Yeah. I, I look at the, at the end state, like, you know, in the military called com- commander's intent, the intent is to do the following or be at the following. And it's, it's because stuff that we do that, that really facilitated, like when we went to New Guinea, um, when we went there, uh, they gave us an op fund and they told us to build, it was called the school of the warrior. It was like their ranger school. We went there and built that and then trained them and all that stuff. We have no idea. They give us an op fund, like $70,000. And we go to New Guinea and they're like, you're the handshake and smile guys. Like at the end, we want to have this built and them trained and handshakes and smiles. Mm. You're like, they don't tell you what to do. They don't tell you how to do it. They just tell you what it looks like when it's done. And you get in there and you figure stuff out. And so well, that, that, mm. that creative problem solving part of it, the idea that I don't have I don't have a preset path. You're not handing me a script and go and saying, do this. You're saying, this is what it looks like at the Ah. end. Make it. So like in a company, you're saying, Hey guys, we need more efficiency in our cost of goods. Go figure that out. I'm saying, okay. And you're not micro this way. Like if you're for your product for fit soda, like we want uh, the end state is I want you go to your marketing people and go, I want Walmart to carry fit soda. Mm. Figure it out. Go. Mm. Yeah. Like, how do you want us to do that? I don't know. That's your job. Like, I'm just, I'm the big idea guy. My big idea is I want our stuff in the following place. And then they have to figure out, okay, what does it take to get a product into Walmart? Okay, who are the points of contact? What is the scale? Like, how much volume do they need? They start, they have to figure it out. But good people will do that. They go, okay, this is what it looks like. I see in my mind's eye, I see a shelf full of fit soda in Walmart. Okay, let's go. And then- that's the kind of mentality that they yeah, have copy in, that, that, in those copy organizations. That. And I think the other thing that makes that really special, I'm guessing, would be, so you're saying a bunch of creative thinkers. Well, not a bunch, but you would be a creative thinker. But then you are in a team that are all just like that, right? So 
Yeah. I know that those teams are, are fairly close from my understanding. You guys are we're yep. probably all very close, mm -hmm. but everybody's yep. a creative thinker. You come together with these ideas and then somebody tells you like, all right, here's how we're going to do it, structure it and get it done. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what I'm trying to get at here, but I've, I've known some other SF guys. And I think that you guys do a lot of special things that people don't realize. It's not just like you go out there and blast things up. Um, I had a guy no. tell me that, yeah, they've gone there and built schools. They've gone there and built um, yep. latrines like, that's a cool system. point because everyone thinks we, we everyone built, thinks built, 13 hours. Everyone thinks Benghazi. Everyone thinks like it's all just explosions, no. Jason Bourne shooting M16s and that's no, it. Teaching and building There's and stuff, stuff, right? You, mm. You're 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 facilitating stuff getting done. You're built, like we we did the the whole school of the warrior thing. Like we built obstacle courses and so we had to buy railroad ties or something comparable or logs or we had to contract people in country to build stuff. And then our engineers had to supervise them building at the spec. So you're not going through an obstacle course and it collapses. Um, I was in Haiti during the intervasion or intervention or whatever the hell you call it. And so we had to go to Nepal and pick up guys in Nepal who had never been on a plane before, fly them back to Haiti and then <laughs> train them up and then employ them in Port-au-Prince, which was our area of responsibility, running patrols. And then we had to use them for crowd control and all like, I had no idea. We went there. I had no idea we were going to do that stuff. It's just like, oh, yeah, we, these guys need to be able to do crowd control. Okay. Who knows how to do crowd control? Hey. The MPs. Do we know anybody in the MPs? Like, you just you start uh. solving the problems, but there's a lot. Before you start dropping the hammer on people, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that gets done. There's a bunch of stuff that, that you're, you're training people on and you're a counterpart. They call it like you're like a military ambassador, so to speak. Like, they look at the Americans and they go, okay, how can they help us? We can train your guys to be better at what you do. And, and that's how they get employed. Fast forward to the, you know, the, 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 the GWAT. Now you've got SF teams that are basically the leadership element for Afghan commandos or for, you know, Iraqi commandos conducting operations. So it's a joint, it, it, it's back to the traditional, like in Vietnam, where American SF soldiers were working with, you know, uh, our uh, Republic of Vietnam units and stuff. So it's a, it's a, it's not what people think. It so, is Mike, so here's a, here's a good question, and I've been thinking it the whole time, and actually Gina just sent it to me as well. Because I think as, as you grow a company, you know, you are having to deal with infantrymen. You don't get to only deal with special forces type people. And I think that's one of the – I think it is one of the hard parts of growing a company is that you do have to deal with people who, mm -hmm. you know, might be in the bottom 10%, and you're having to work with what you've got. With that being said, yeah. Gina texted this, and it's funny because she texted it, and I was actually thinking it. Uh, how is the chain of authority broken down in SF, especially knowing that each operator is equally qualified? And I was kind of going to ask the same question because, and I think Chris was sort of touching on it, when you have all these alphas in a unit and everybody's yeah. creative, when you are problem solving, is there an issue ever there with like, you know, infighting or when a decision is made, how does it get executed? There, there are, in, in SF and at, at Delta, if you were the best qualified guy to, to run something, then you ran it. Like I was on a mobility team, okay, the driving stuff, driving everything from dirt bikes to God knows what, anything with wheels and, and a freaking an engine. So uh, we, had, we had a guy on my team that was a phenomenal dirt bike rider. Mm -hmm. This guy was like, like, I mean, like a legit, like he could race. Motocross, we, yeah. Yeah. And so when we did, we did dirt bike stuff or we did quads or stuff like that that's relative. He was in charge. He wasn't the most senior guy. How did you? How did you but guys he was develop? The best at it. So here's a great question, Mike. Because like I think as a as a CEO of a company and and someone who's mm -hmm. leading an, an SF unit, yeah, you have to start to learn to get good 
at identifying what people are good at. How did you guys identify what people were good at? Did you already have like an intel on it? Or was it just a, a, a result of being around the guys and kind of knowing? Yeah, sometimes guys show up with it with like they know that, that you have certain capability, okay? If you, came out of, if you came out of SF and you were on a Halo team and you were a Halo jump master, they already know what you're capable of doing or out of, you know. Can you tell us what that is? Regiment. What's a Halo What's jump that? master? Uh, high altitude, low opening. It's it's free fall, military free fall. Wow. And then if you're a jump master, then you you are basically managing. You're the you're the um, the the supervisor of the airborne operations. Copy so that. Have, you have it all. You have you know halo jump master. You have a static line jump master. You have a dive supervisor for diving stuff. It's all you're in a supervisory position running the operation. And there's there's a school that you have to go through, and everybody knows your capabilities. So there's stuff like that. Then there's things that you don't know. When people show up, like I showed up in Okinawa and um, we had, we had, uh, I had done in the Marine Corps, we had, we had dropped boats and done submarine operations. We had dropped boats out of aircraft. We had done submarine operations, stuff like that. And um, I showed up and they were doing, they were giving a brief. The team that I went to, they guys had, didn't have a lot of experience on it. And I had a fair amount and I was a brand new dude, just got to the team like days prior and sitting in there and, and, they're talking about dropping boats and there's a certain way you have to pack engines or you can damage the engine when it, when it hits the water in the pallet and they're going through it. And I'm just like, raise my hand. I'm like, yo man, that, that's guys, you know, I know I'm the new guy, but that's not going to work for the following reasons. And first thing, the guy who was kind of in charge was a mid-level guy in the team in the hierarchy of the team. He was in the middle. He was like, who the fuck are you? Like, who's this new guy with, who's this mouthy new guy? <laughs> yeah. And the team starts like, like, how would you know that? I'm like, I've actually done it before. And he goes, Oh, you did it when you were in reconnaissance. I'm like, yeah, and this is what happens. You got to pack the, you know, the carburetor portions differently, blah, blah, blah. Went through this whole thing. And so he goes, okay, you're in charge now. Like you're running it now. Yeah. So I showed up and now I'm, because he knows that I have, I have an experience base and then I've demonstrated through what I said, like, hey, listen, I know that this isn't going to work and I can tell you exactly why and I can tell you the remedy. And he's like, okay. You know, like, that's oh, you're that's. It. That's one thing I love about those is because I've heard stories like that before. I think at that level, it's pretty cool because there's a lack of lack of ego, right? Because mm -hmm. you guys are all experts and probably in different things and the same stuff. But I've heard that, yeah, there's times where it's not rank involved, but some everybody trusts everybody and they're like, okay, so-and-so would be the best at running this. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's great because that means you can put your ego aside and not be not go off rank and everything and just be like this will help us get the job done the best because this person yeah. knows this better mm. and it's having that trust in each other and um being able to work towards the same goal right because if everybody's Absolutely. working towards the same goal and one person who's lower on the totem pole might know a lot more the the person mm -hmm. who's in charge can be like no look we're gonna listen to mike on this one because he knows what he's talking about better than me and i think that that's really cool because that just shows that you can put your ego aside to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, on the on that portion of the the dynamic which I think really directly applies to to the business side is that a couple things in play. One is that you have to you have to be able to identify skills and capabilities and all that. Um, the other thing is that without identifying your your position in the hierarchy like hey, I'm the boss. Like I, that's one of my big things like anybody that has to tell me, "Hey, I'm the boss." You're you're probably not really the boss. Like Everybody should know who the boss is and, sh and should give proper deference. Like we never called anybody by rank at Delta. I never called anybody. Matter of fact, one time I called a guy by his rank and he stopped me in the hallway later. He was with some guys. There was a, this guy, uh, Jimmy, he's a, he's a freaking good dude. He's a famous guy over there. Um, 
and he and I went through OTC together, and, and um, his call sign was Serpico. We call, we call each other by our call signs. Nobody calls anybody by their name. It's like a nickname. So I see him in the hallway, and he's with a couple guys from the Ranger Regiment, and he came from the Ranger Regiment. Mind you, he's a, at the time, he's like a major. So I'm walking by, and I'm like, I, I see him, and I'm like, hey, how's it going, sir? And he looks at me, he's like, he's like hey, Mike, how's it going? And he actually calls, my call sign was Sparky. He was like, hey, Spark, what's up, man? I'm like, Sparky. not much, sir, just checking in, just saying hey. Like, and he's like, kind of looks at me fucked up and keeps walking. And like, the, I'm, I'm on my way to the gym later in the day, and he's like, bro, are we good? Like, what's up? And I was like, what? He's like, what's up with the sir thing and all that shit? I'm like, oh, you're with your boys, man. I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to front you in front of your guys from the regiment. He's like, oh, oh, okay, cool. We're good though, right? Yeah. Because like, we don't even use names because I know his position. I know he's a major. I know, I know what he does. And like, I'm not going to step outside the lines. If I call him Jimbo or Jimmy or Serpico or whatever, I'm still going to give him the respect that his position requires. And so everybody knowing where they fit and not stepping out of their, their lane in an inappropriate way is important. Like in the end, the boss is the boss. He makes the final decision. You give your input, everybody gets heard. <clears throat> the boss is on the hook for it. He goes, you know what? This is what I want to go with based on my judgment. Gotcha. All right, let's go. I'm 100% in that. People have to understand that you don't always get a vote. You get input, but you don't always get a vote. Like and sometimes that. it goes, it, it, it's, not, it's not what you want. It's not the way you think is best. Well, guess what? You're not in charge. Like, it's like, and, and so that understanding that the level of maturity that is required is something that has to be fostered within the organization. Every once in a while, you got to pull somebody back in line and go, hey, you're getting a little outside the lines. You're calling maturity outside the lines, a, kid. Maturity is the big word, though, because like as you're talking, I, you're, you're speaking my love language, but um, I, the, there's this huge movement now in the workforce, too. Of I think there's been a deterioration of, obviously, leadership of, I don't want to call it manhood. That almost sounds offensive, but like, of maturity in the world, right? I think it's, you know, this whole kind of woke culture is sort of destroying the hierarchy of, of things. Uh, with that being said, yeah. you still have the class of 79 who thinks I get to micromanage mm -hmm. everything you do and be an asshole. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that and then think about modern workplaces, how some yeah. of that's been deteriorated where like everyone thinks they should have. I just, dude, it's, it's I, I feel like I'm it's rambling, but. No, I get you. It's culturally. I, I just, cause I, I do, I mean, I use Instagram as, as marketing, honestly. Um, and somebody said something, I made a comment back and, and the guy's response was like, why so aggressive? <laughs> like motherfucker. Cause I'm aggressive. <laughs> I'm a dude, man. Like that's like, I'm, I'm, I'm accelerating into collisions. Hey, if I, I just, everybody's afraid of conflict yeah. and I'm like, that's part of life, man. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta step to people and be like, Hey, that's bullshit. And you gotta call it out. Like, why are you talking to me like that? Because it's bullshit. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, man. I can't put a smiley face on it. Everybody wants to be right all the time. And, and it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes it's just, you're incorrect. Sometimes somebody calls you out on your stuff and it's the, the lack of, the lack of, of manliness. I had a, I had a dude and I was in working on LA fitness, this is a young kid and he's probably like 19 or 20 and he's just bashing his chick. Like when she's working out, he's like, Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're doing that. And like, I'm sitting there, I got my earbuds and I'm like, bro, like, dude, ease up, man. He's like, why don't you mind your own business? I'm like, when I can hear you over my fucking earbuds with Metallica on, you just made right. it my business. Right, like, right. Made, like, I'm like, why don't you just help her out? And he's like, he's like, well, well, you know, just shut the fuck up. I'm like, dude, let's not do that. Like, let's not, let's not go that route. Okay. But just, just stop making a spectacle yourself. <laughs> and now he's that like, guy's disappeared. Do, kick my ass? And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> now we're there? Like, that's where? And I'm like, 
Like, dude, I got jungle boots in my garage older than you. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm looking at this kid. I'm like, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I'm, I'm not freaking Chris, but I'm, I'm okay with myself. And I'm like, I'm looking at this kid going, dude, you're, you're out of your league right now. Like you're way. And so I, he keeps getting mouthy. And I'm like, hey, dude, why don't we just go out in the parking lot and figure it out? We'll figure like, let's, let's figure out if you know what you think you know. Because I, I know some shit about me that I don't think you know yet. So let's figure it out. And he's like, oh, you're going to kick my ass? I'm like, dude, I'm done talking. Like. I'm just tired. I don't, I don't need some mouthy dude who could, who's barely old enough to drive making my workout shit. So stop right, it. Right. He's like, Ugh. And then once I called him on it, then all of a sudden he was like, uh, uh, uh. like nobody, nobody calls people on stuff. And that's the whole manliness thing. Men, men need to step up and be like, no, you don't, you don't get to do that in public, dude. That's not how it works. That's not how our society works. And when, when, pe- when people have, men have abdicated that guys growing up that don't do manly shit, don't do hard shit. Like, you're just soft and weak. Like you need, and, and I mean, I've, I've written about it, said stuff. No dude respects another dude who's fucking weak and no chick respects a weak dude ever. Yo, that is heat. No girl likes a weak dude, man. That should be a fucking clip that then gets replayed on the (laughs) internet a million times. Cause Mike, yesterday we had Brandon Gertz in here, in here, you know, Chris is fighting on Saturday. Yeah. Go Chris. Yeah. Nickname (laughs) none. Uh, Big fights on Saturday, but we were talking to Gertz, who's also just kind of a, he's a manly man, and we were talking about how many fights we've yeah. all been in. And I was saying, I think kids at a young age, especially nowadays, young men, should be not forced into, but pushed into jujitsu and fighting in, a, in an organized fashion. Oh yes. Um, you know, for me, it was football, yeah. rugby, sports. I fought a lot growing up, mm-hmm. and we were having this exact dialogue about that. There's this deterioration of men, and that the fact that they're not being forced to do anything tough. And it's sort of deteriorating the culture that you really do need yeah. tough men to stand in the gap and go through hard shit, not yeah. only just for society's sake, but for your own sake, um, which is why it's I a- think there's, you know, more suicide, more massive shootings, more mm-hmm. all that bullshit, because we've stopped. T- we've taken away the idea that like being a man, being in a fight, playing football, being a fighter is somehow bad. Right. There's this like woke sort of vein in the culture of like. Aggression in any, yeah, aggression in any sense is fucking a bad thing. Yeah. It's, it's not, the thing is, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a primal thing. Like I I look at from, from the, the way societies work, men have always been the aggressive side of it, been the hunters and the fighters and all that. It's wired into people. It's not, we're not supposed to be weak. And it's like, that comes at, that comes at a cost. That's for damn sure. Right. And a lot of guys don't, I mean, it, it, it just, Talking to my chick yesterday, it's like there was a time long ago where I was freaking in a in a bar drinking with this chick that I was dating at the time, and you know words get exchanged, and this dude's bigger than me. He's like, you know, basically calling me out. And I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go in the parking lot. And she's like, she goes, she goes, that guy's like way bigger than you. I'm like, yeah. She goes, like, you think you could beat his ass? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, you missed the point. Right, the point. right. I have to go outside now. Right. And, and we went outside and freaking and we banged it out in the parking lot. And it wasn't it wasn't pretty for me. It, and I left marks on him. At the end of it, we ended up going back inside and drinking together. The See, fact that I actually would go outside and fight this guy, we he was like, about dude, that. I didn't think you'd do it. He we, goes, I thought you were just gonna talk, be a yappy dog. I didn't realize you were gonna fucking actually put some marks on me. I'm like, dude, so I, so I can't, like you got, I love that you fucking have to story. Pay up for that shit. Like no, that I fucking I, I love that so much because sorry, Mike. I'm just uh, like that story that gets me fired up. Number one, ideals are peaceful. History is violent. You ever heard that quote? Yeah. There's so there's that, and then I've read this book called the um, the Fighter, and it was basically this guy who was a journalist who didn't believe in fighting. He went on this quest. He fought all over the world, and he got to this 
very philosophical point that fighting is beauty, that there's no greater connection between two men when, they, when they've left marks on each other, that, yeah. that, that there's a closeness, like a, it's, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't mean like the shit it's you a, see on World Star. No, or, it's, a, it's a respect, like the, the fact, and that's, that's not being a giant dude. That's happened to me more than once, where it's like, hey man, let's fucking bang it out. Let's go. I've had my ass kicked more than once. I'm not afraid of it. I understand it. As long as I don't die, it'll all, whatever it is, will pretty much grow back, so it'll be fine. But people will respect you if you if you're a yappy dog and then you run back upstairs people nobody respects you your chick won't even respect you she'll be like wow i thought i was hanging with a dude but i was hanging with a chick in a dude's body <laughs> like sorry man you got to pay for that and it's the the society says that everything to do with any violent encounter not gratuitous violence fighting in any capacity is bad and i'm like you are so freaking wrong it's terrifying yeah you're like and that's and it's the the idea that that guys growing up now like every guy is somehow like a, a closet abuser of women and all. No, it's not. It's not, dude. That like, I, I would I would never I would never lay a hand on a woman. But I sure as hell if I was in the subway in New York and some some dudes manhandling a chick. Hey, dude, that's your responsibility as a guy in a society. And a lot of guys just step back and they'll let it Film. happen or they'll video it with a freaking phone. I'm like, it's, it's, it's societal conditioning as I see Gina it. Gina and I, I were I, watching I got, a video yesterday of a guy at a game, like a Raiders game, obviously the Raiders. And he, some girl, he's fighting a guy, the girl hits him in the back. He turns around and hits her. And I was like, if I was in that audience, he should have got, I would have smashed that guy to bits. Yeah. It's like, Dude, if she pulls out a knife and tries to shank you, okay. Yeah. But some girl smack you, like, come on, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. You'll live. Yeah, exactly. You'll freaking live. <laughs> so, but it's, so that's it's yeah the manly the manliness thing. It's a huge thing for me. Like, go out and do hard shit, suffer a little bit, get smacked in the fucking mouth a couple times in the ring. You know, get twisted up and 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 you know freaking tapped out a few times on the mat, and you'll learn some shit about yourself. If you were, if, if you will, go ahead, Chris. I was gonna say uh, this kind of you and I talked uh, the other day before this, you know, and. You said something about being able to laugh at yourself, which I, I like this story because you weren't like, yeah. yeah, then I went outside and I slammed this guy through the concrete. Like you can, you can kind of laugh about it and you're like, yeah, I mean, it didn't go well for me. Um, but you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Like being able to laugh at yeah. yourself and how wait, that's wait. like a healthy. Uh, so that too, laughing at yourself in conjunction with Gina wanted to know about your thoughts on the whole toxic masculinity thing. <laughs> that's, bullshit. That's, that's for scared. That's people that are scared of what actual men are capable of. They call it toxic because it, it scares them. Like, oh, I don't have the skills that he has. I'm afraid of him because I realize I can't, I, I couldn't counter this person if they decided to do something bad. That's what it comes at. There's just a, there's masculinity and there's toxic behavior. To try and blend the two is a bullshit uh, dodge. You're just and the toxic Guess behavior what? is like, like yeah, giving it like. If somebody, if, if somebody mouths off to your, your, your chick or your kids or something or you and you freaking confront him like, hey, dude, that doesn't work for me. Okay. That's not toxic. That's just masculinity. You stand for what you believe in. Toxic is when you bully people, like guys that freaking mm. smack their chicks around and stuff like that. You're just a punk. Or You're bully others. Or, You're yeah. a toxic human. There's no masculinity in that. Bullying people is not masculine. It's just toxic. So the idea that you're going to put, when they put toxic masculinity, it's like saying dry water to me. It's like saying warm ice. It's mm. like they're two different things. Yeah. They're not, toxic is one thing. Masculine is another thing. Trying to put the two together is not. Yeah. So, so and then the laughing at yourself thing. Yeah, that, dude. Dude, you, every once in a while, like, for the more you do, the more often it is. You just do dumb shit. You get tuned up. You get mouthy. Um, I, dude, you got to be able to to literally laugh at your own mistakes. If you can't, you'll take your shit too seriously, and you'll take yourself too seriously. 
like way too seriously. I got young, young stud. I was a corporal or something, Sasebo, Japan. I was waiting for an aircraft and I was at the little, you know, uh, little, they'll have like a little enlisted club bar kind of thing, drinking and just, you know, feeling all full of piss and vinegar, feeling like I had all that. <laughs> we just done a bunch of combative stuff and boxing and this, we were fighting, we were on deployment. Um, so I'm in there and this little Filipino guy's walking by me and, um, oh, yeah, bumps into me and knocks story. my drink on me. Right. So I'm, I'm like, you know, of course I'm like what, fucking 19 years old or 20 years old. I'm like, Hey, what the boy like talking smack. And he's, he's trying to apologize and I'm just being a dick. And so I poke him in the chest and just as my finger touches his chest, I feel like I get hit by like three guys at once. Like I got punched by three different people at once. And it was the little Filipino dude. And guess what? <laughs> he was like a freaking four time all Navy boxer and like a gold glove. He was, the dude, the dude was a freaking, he was a Filipino scout hunting Japanese when he was 13. Wow. Dude was hacking Japanese up with a bowl knife at 13. And me over here being mouthy, he tuned me like a fucking piano. And I'm like, and then I'm laying on my back. I'm like, wow, I just got my ass kicked. And I look over and he's like, he's like this reaching forward. And he helps me up and he grabs cocktail napkins and he's like, starts dabbing the blood off my freaking face. He's like, you be nice. You know, you don't know who you talk to. And like the nicest, it was like, I caught my Mr. Miyagi moment. Like, yeah. I literally started laughing. I'm like, yeah, man, I have no idea who you're talking to. I'm Mike. How you doing? Touche. Yeah. It's like, well dude sat down, dude sat down and drank with me for the next two nights and told me stories about fighting the Japanese. Nicest guy ever. I ran my mouth thinking I knew something I didn't know. And somebody that knew some shit that I didn't know he knew tuned me up. Like, and I laugh about it to this day. I think it's, it was the best thing ever. Every once in a while, you just need to get your ass kicked. You're getting mouthy and you get checked. And like, people are so afraid of that. I'm like, I learned a ton from that day on. I never was mouthy to people. I never, because guess what? A little five foot four Filipino dude could tighten you up right there. And you won't even, you won't even see it coming until it's over. It's like, and I just, I laughed to this day. It's like, dude, I've, I have fucked shit up. I have done stupid shit. I have, and I just laugh at it. Like, yeah, that was dumb shit. That was stupid. Dudes will laugh at you and I'll laugh with them. Be like, yeah, that was some dumb shit. Huh? remember that? So if you <laughs> can't do funny. that, you're taking yourself too seriously. And you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a position in your life experience where you're like, I'm so important that I, I can't do, I can't do anything wrong. Mm. I'm, I am bound to do, it is, at my time, it's 11.33, I'm bound to do something stupid by fucking two o'clock today. It's possible. <laughs> so like, fucking just embrace it. Yeah. Like, dude. All right, real quick, I want to tell you about Fit Soda. Listen, we are addicted to this stuff in our house and that is not a lie. Everyone loves a nice fizzy drink. Everyone loves a bit of soda. But if you look at people that drink a lot of soda, you're going to see that, unfortunately, they're probably obese. A lot of people that have a lot of health problems and weight problems, they're drinking a lot of soda. A lot of people with messed up teeth, they're drinking a lot of soda. If you want that soda fixed, but you don't want to get fat, you don't want to rot your teeth and you don't want to mess up your body, this is where Fit Soda comes in. First of all, it's absolutely delicious. Okay, They've got a variety of flavors. Flavors. The citrus one is my favorite, but this one here, the black cherry cola, they got the orange cream, root beer float, the sparkling citrus, as I say, that is my personal favorite. Listen, there's zero calories, zero, zero calories in this. Branch chain amino acids are involved for recovery and electrolytes for hydration. It tastes incredible. It is guilt-free soda drinking. 
And listen, I'm just telling you now, little uh, life hack, if you throw a little bit of vodka in there as well, the perfect mixer for your alcoholic beverage with no calories, depending on what you put in it, of course. But listen, I'm telling you right now, we love this stuff in our house. We are going through it by the bucket load. You will not be disappointed with this product. The flavor is second to none. It is guilt-free soda drinking, the zero calories, and it's good for you. The branch chain amino acids, the electrolytes for hydration, and of course, as I said, zero calories. So one thing I wanted to ask you too is, I feel like it's a common trend uh, sticking with sense of humor. Most of the um, SF team guys, anybody I've ever met that's kind of like high operating person from the military, they all seem to have like a great sense of humor. Is that, it almost seems like a prerequisite. Is that because it's being around the teams and always giving each other shit? Is that helping you guys deal with the hard shit you have to do is being able to make jokes and laugh about certain things? Um, I've always been curious yeah. about that because they're all pretty funny ass dudes. The ones that I've met. Yeah. Oh dude, it's, it's, it is, it's a requirement. Like you can't take shit seriously. It's, it's everybody jokes around about stuff. Everybody, everybody fucks with everybody else. Everybody makes fun of everybody. If there's something, there's something that bothers you on a team. And it's, it was the same when I was a wrestler. It was the same when I played lacrosse in college. It's it teams, teams of guys that are excelling at what they do. They will find your weakness and they'll poke it and poke it and poke it. Just <laughs> yeah, to, that's like, true. Hey, does that hurt? Does that hurt now? Is that just to like get Chris's you, skinny like, legs? <laughs> yeah. They, they just, they want to make that weakness go away. I think it's, it's, it's almost a subconscious thing. I'm going to fuck with you in your weakness. I'm going to poke you there until it doesn't hurt anymore. And then it's not a weakness anymore. But it's, it also is a reminder that, dude, Stop taking yourself so damn seriously. Yeah. Like stop. Everything's not everything's the only thing that's the end of the world is the end of the world. Okay. Yeah. So stop. It's, I like it's yeah. I like it's, that. It's important. Yeah, I like it because you know, I go to the gym and nobody gives a shit who you are, what you've done. Like there's amateurs that'll be like talking shit to me and they don't care that I've been in the UFC or done all these things. And it's good because it, it does kind of like harden you throughout the years. Like my brother, I told him, you know, when he got in the UFC, I'm like it, it's never going to bother you when people are talking shit because I've been talking shit to you since we were like yeah. five. Since we could speak. <laughs> and he was yeah. like, you're right. He's like, nobody's going to say anything meaner than what you've said yeah, ever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I think that is, it's a good tool. I think sometimes men will talk shit to each other a ton. Like women don't really do that, but men no, will do it. Chicks and, don't do that. But it like hardens you over time or it gives you more of a sense of humor or, or it makes you more comfortable because you're like, all right, everybody's making fun of my weakness. Everybody knows right, it already. Right. It's not the elephant in the room. Right. Um, but yeah, I always thought, I didn't know if that was a way that a lot of you guys, that's because you see a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of horrible things. Um, I didn't know if that was like a good coping mechanism too, is being able to yeah, it absolutely have is. a sense You're of spot humor. on, bro. You're spot on. It's, that's exactly what it is. I mean, when I got, when I got fucking blown up, I remember laying there fucking gurgling in my own blood and my bud greg came over he's like hey man start talking to me and it's like i was like i i can't feel my hands because it felt like it felt like it blew my hands off and i'm like i, I my hands gurgling and Mike, can you tell I, us I what something about my hands can you tell us i know we were steering away from some of the stuff that you've been through but are you open to telling that story what happened about yeah, being blown up what happened well I, I we were doing rehearsals for uh for for some um recapturing down pilots and uh, a breaching charge that I set fell. It was on the door, and then it fell and detonated in midair. When it detonated, the shockwave came off and split me all the way across here. So I got this Black. little aftermarket gem. Um, and it, it 64 fractures from the neck up, brain hemorrhage. You showed me the shit. pictures before. Yeah, it was it's yeah, insane. It's, Jesus. It's, it, was, it was, you know, but that, 
So you're yeah. laying there gurgling. Like, did you think you were going to die? Were you like, this I, is the I end? Actually wanted, as, soon as, as soon as it fired, with anybody that's, that's done anything where you get fucking hurt for real, um, I fired that charge. And um, obviously, there's a brilliant flash of light in a whole bunch of ways. And I remember the first thing that, that first thing that I thought of was like, oh, fuck, that was wrong. I'm hurt. Like, I knew, I'm like, I'm fucked up. I knew it. Yeah. And then I freaking, I, I collapsed. I was, I was, they think that I, that, that I was, I know I was conscious um, the whole time. They think I was kind of like, lo- like barely lucid for about three or four seconds where, where they, you know, they, they said that I was just on the ground kind of twitching basically because my and mike mike if you don't mind me asking how big of a charge is that like because i'm thinking like is it hand grenade size is it it's hard to explain it's it's Mm. it was a it was a it was three strands of dead cord on a 72 inch piece of wood Uh. so it's it's hard to i mean i could go into net explosive weight and stuff like that no all good i was just curious (laughs) like it was yeah it was it was it was definitely big enough to do obviously substantial damage the thing about explosives is that they 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 don't all blow up together. They blow in a direction. So if it's primed at the base, it shoots a shock wave. And the shock wave, what hit me was a, a column of super high pressure air shattered my helmet and then wow. freaking tore me apart. But um, I remember, like I said, I knew it was wrong. As soon as it happened, before the pain got to me, I was like, oh, that was wrong. I'm fucked up. And then the pain hit me and I'm like, oh, I'm really fucked up. And then it was really weird because it was like, a, it was, and it's strange when you hear yourself talking to yourself. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, this is how I die. Damn. It wasn't scary. It wasn't, I was just like, fuck, this is how I die. And then the pain hit and it was like, it was a freaking level of pain that I'd never, I, I didn't even know existed. And I'm like, oh no, 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 this hurts too bad. I'm still here. Like I was like, oh, I'm fucking still here. And were you about to say that one of your boys at the scene was, was fucking with you? Was he trying to keep it oh, light? Greg, Greg came over, Greg came <laughs> over and I was like, my hands, I asked him about my hands and he's like, yeah, you're, and I was like, and then the next thing it was like, is my junk still there? I thought, it, I thought it blew my hands off and castrated me. Like the way the shock would hit me. And you figure if I got, if I, if I got my hands in my junk, even if I'm blind, I can still entertain myself. So <laughs> yeah. So, did he, did he make a joke about, was he like, it's no, fine. He reached it out, he reached anyway. out and grabbed my shit. was like, shook me. He was like, yeah, he's still there. Started laughing. That's a friend like, right there. He grabbed your yeah, dick. Bro, yeah. You're like, good, bro. He just, it's one of those things. Like you, you kind of, you know, you just kind of <laughs> laugh at it. Like they did you just grab my dick. dude. Hospital. Yeah. You're, you're fine. We're good. Yeah, he's like, no, you're good. He's like, you're good. And he started laughing. And it's, it's weird because it's one of those things. I remember that the three things I asked, are my hands still there? Like I asked about my hands. I don't really remember. I remember saying, is my junk still there? I remember like distinctly that because it was kind of funny. <laughs> I asked him something about my hands and he grabbed my fingers. He's like, they're chewed up, but you're, they're still there. They're fucked up though. I'm like, okay. And then the last thing I said, I'm like, I can't see. What about my eyes? And he goes, hang in there, bro. Doc's going to be here in a second. And I remember thinking he didn't answer me. Uh, all the the other ones he answered me yes you're good yes you're good i asked him that and he's like and the the sinking feeling i was like i'm fucking blind like i you couldn't see out of both eyes right what's that you couldn't see at all at that point yeah this this one was swollen shut and this one was all over fuck d team you know mike that's something else i would say about special forces that you get is like the just the brutal honesty that you just don't get in life anymore like that that moment where he goes no dude your hands are chewed up but you'll be all right like He's telling you the truth. I, I think people yeah. get away from that too. Like, no, you it's fucked yeah. up, but like you can yeah. fix it. <laughs> I don't think people yeah. have that anymore in society That's, is what I'm getting at. Civilians. Yeah. Just they don't, people don't want to tell you like on the last one, when I asked him about my eyes, he didn't lie to me. He just didn't answer my question. Mm. If I asked him again, he would have said, dude, your face is fucked up. I don't know. Like he would have said it. I just, I, at that point I was still, I was loose enough. I remember like, I remember what was going on. 
I remember not wanting to ask him again because I already knew the answer. Fuck. Like he didn't answer me. I already know the answer. The answer is if I'm the luckiest guy on earth, I might have one eye left. Otherwise I'm fucking blind. Like it, it still seems like, but nobody, nobody will, if you ask somebody, if you ask a guy something, like if you're injured and you ask a guy something, they'll tell you. Like, hey man, you got a compound fracture, your tip fit sticking out. This is gonna hurt like fuck. We're gonna try and set it and put you on a medevac. Like, they're not gonna lie to you and go, hey man, everyday sunshine, you're gonna be okay, pal. Like, yeah. Yeah, I would not, rather know. Yeah. And it's but that's 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 like that's the hallmark of that organization. Uh, that's when you go into fucking man central, like you're around men, we don't lie to each other. Like, hey bro, you're fucked up. Like you're you're busted up, dude. I don't know. And that's it. Like Nobody's going to paint a smiley face on it because that's not what you need. What you need to know is what's going on so you can like try and, and hold on to shit. Like I'm, I'm trying, I'm just trying to stay conscious at that point. Guys yeah. are talking to me and asking me stuff. And they're just trying to keep me conscious because why? I'm like, the guy's like, hey, answer me, answer me. They keep asking me questions. And one of the guys like, dude, just keep talking to me. I don't want you to go to sleep. You may not wake up. Like that's for real. That was an honest that's, like, that's a dude going, if you pass out, we not we may not be able to bring you back. We have to keep you, we have to keep you talking, keep you like, and he what he told me, I knew why he was saying it. I knew why he said if you go to sleep, we may not be able to wake you up. I knew what that meant. Like they're not gonna that's the thing about those organizations. I just like what you're people saying. People will Mike, tell you the ugly truth. I just love how like honest everything is at that level. Like the situation's foobar, you're fucked up, this is happening. There's, you know, I'm sure in developmental situations, I read this book by this guy who was a Navy SEAL commander, and he was talking about how honest they are with each other, even in chaos, you know, how bad the situation is. And I just don't think people, I don't even think people live their own lives that way, let alone have a group of people around them who could go, yeah, dude, it's fucked up, but we'll figure it out. Well, I think uh, that honesty goes back to problem solving too, right? If you have the honest answer and you know the exact problem, then you can solve it better than like a lie. And like when you have all the information- you can solve the problem or start to solve the problem better than a bunch of fucked up information. Yeah, you're and, exactly, you're 100% right. And that's the hallmark of those organizations. Like, stop lying to yourself. We don't have time for bullshit. We have to know mm. the truth so we can fix things if they're broken or we can keep doing things that are working. But I, 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 don't, I don't need your interpretation of the fucking facts. I just need to know what the facts are and we'll act accordingly. And so that is inculcated into the culture. Like, stop telling me shit that's either not true, okay, or that I don't need to know. Just tell me what's happening that you know. Just like... When you, when you, when I was in, in, in the unit, OTC, in they'll say, if they ask you a question, don't go, I think it's this. I think means I don't know. Just say, I don't know. If you don't know, just go, I don't know. Yeah. But don't tell me I think, or maybe, or it's like, hey, it's like, think about it. if you got, this is my, my favorite creature on earth are women, but God knows you ladies you got an issue with this. Hey, are you ready? I'm almost ready. Then you're not ready. Wow, is, it, is this is this hitting a chord for I'm you, Kamosi? I'm not ready. <laughs> this is striking like, real close to home real deep here. for Chris right now. Um, yeah, it's like I'm almost ready means not ready. When will you be ready? I'm almost ready. I know you're not ready. Tell me when you will be ready, because I'm going to go grab something to drink or whatever. Like it's just one of those things. Like if you say that, like how do you, you say that shit? And I, when I was at the unit or SF, like, hey man, are you ready? Like I'm almost ready. People be like, motherfucker, then you're not ready. Just say I'm not ready. I'll be ready in five minutes. Like they don't. There's a precision of word. And people don't precision they, of word. They, they, I just, love people don't that. do that. Like they don't, I am not ready. They don't want to say I'm not ready. Cause they know you're waiting for them. How do you yeah. implement this, ready. Mike? If you, if you were to come in, by the way, I'd love to have you come in as like a paid gig and work with us on leadership and stuff. Would you be open to that? Yeah, man, totally. It'd be amazing. Um, how do you implement that culture in a, in a modern company, the precision of word? Like how- that's something that you can, I'll tell you right now. I mean, it's, it's the same way you would do it in the military. One, you have to, you have to embody it. 
The, the people at the top have to embody it. And it, there's got to be an overt desire. Like, listen, explain to them precision of word. Tell me what, tell me what you know, okay? Don't tell me what you think, all right? What you think doesn't, that, that means you don't know. If I, well, I think it's this, well, I think it's that, well, then you don't know. If I ask you a question and you don't know, just say, I, I don't know the answer to that. I can't give you a definitive answer. Understand that precision of word allows us more time to act appropriately on known information. Mm, okay, yeah. so do you think it's a fear, Mike? Things, do you think you have to it? sort of create the culture around that by also saying yes, you have to you're safe in this environment? Out. You're you safe. Also, yeah, you also have to, people, people have to understand that if you ask me a question, even if I'm supposed to know, but I don't know, and I say, hey, boss, I don't know. Let me, I'll find out. That should always be the answer. I don't know, but I'll find out. Mm. If I don't, if you ask me something that I should know and I don't know, I should be able to say, hey, boss, I don't know. I'll find out though. And, and there's no, the, the repercussion is not in the immediacy. You want to know the answer. Okay, go find out, Mike. I go find out and come back. Oh, hey, boss, this is what it is. Sorry about that. Say, listen, you know, I expect you to know these things. This is in your wheelhouse. You should know this. And then a mild reprimand goes on. Solve the friggin' problem. And then we talk about how not to have this, this informational deficit again. But people have to feel comfortable saying, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Or people saying, hey, I screwed up and go, okay, let, how do we fix this? The, the talking about the screw up part, we do later. Right now we fix the problem. The culture has to be accepting of the imperfections of the human condition. If everything is a reprimand, people will just shut down. They just don't want to play ball. They're like, uh, and they'll tell you what you want to hear as long as they possibly can. Yeah, I think that, that comes Guilty. from you guys. <laughs> you guys operate at such a high level. You don't have time. Like you said, you don't have time for the reprimand or anything. When you're, say you're working in the field, whatever you're doing, you need exact answers right away. If you don't know, tell me you don't know so that I can ask somebody else who might know um, because it's you guys might be dealing with milliseconds sometimes. So it can't be like, mm -hmm. don't babble and be like, uh, well, like just yeah. direct answer because we can solve the problem 10 times quicker and move forward. And that that probably is bred into you guys because that saves lives, right? Like there's it, ab it absolutely does. But for you guys, it's irreversible decisions. I, I tell you something that I think and I tell it to you as though I know it, you make a corporate decision. Once the wheels start moving, that decision is now relatively irreversible. Yeah. If I didn't say, I don't know, I put you in a position of jeopardy because I, I told you I told you I have truth, so to speak. I, something, I don't know, maybe I wanted it to be that way. Maybe I didn't want to tell you I don't know, but I gave you definitive information that was, that was not verifiable. You've now made a decision that is somewhat or completely irreversible. It's the same thing. One is more on the on the you know the lethal or or physical injury side. The other's on the corporate side. But it's the same concept. Like yeah, you've got to be honest because I'm going to make a decision based on what you tell me. If you tell me something, you say yes, this is it, and I go okay, cool. I make a decision, and then then you go well, I thought it was. Whoa, whoa, whoa. no, I thought it was means you don't know. Just say I don't know, and we'll figure it out. But don't. So it's, it's, it is really the same thing. You totally get it, Chris. It's the same thing. It's just, it's got to be a cultural norm. You've got to be able to say, I don't know, or I screwed up without immediate, you know, punitive actions and then fix the problems or find the information. And then we talk about how to not to do that again. Yeah. And then talking about it after helps solve it for the future, right? Because mm -hmm. that I'm sure you were saying not time for reprimand, but I'm sure you, most times you're probably not even reprimanded, but taught. It's like a, yes. a, a good leader will actually probably tell you afterwards, like, listen, you fucked up there, but here's how you make it better. Rather than just like, 
you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. and then it, nothing gets fixed. Um, yeah. yeah. doesn't solve any problems. Yeah, the, I think... You know, the punitive side doesn't solve problems. What is, what's the goal? The goal is to not make this mistake again. That's the goal. Me, me telling you, God damn it, you fucked up. Like, what, does that solve anything? Mm. No. It's effort. It's, it's useless effort that pisses everybody off, upsets the person saying it, you know, berates the person receiving it, and we still didn't fix the freaking problem. Like, it, yeah. don't get emotionally involved. We're trying to solve problems in a timely manner with success. Stop getting emotionally involved. That's what I'd say to people in leadership positions. I think hey, uh, shit. Yeah, it's not. Go it's ahead, not Mike. Wait, wait. That was yeah, going to be. That was about to be. Gold. No, say things piss you off. That's your problem. Okay. If yeah. I'm angry about something, that's my problem, and I have to control that. Okay. Anger's a real thing. Got it. Every once in a while, you got to take a breath and go. I really want to freaking detonate right now, but mm. that's not the answer. And you go take a breath and you go. All right, listen. We we can't do this again. Like this is not the way this is supposed to work. Let's figure this out, and then we're going to come back here. We're going to talk about what happened so it doesn't happen again. Inside, I'm going, are you fucking serious? Like, I can't believe you. Like, I want to be angry. It's literally not going to do anything positive. It's only going to do things that are detrimental. And my own anger, my own emotional control is my friggin' problem. And mm -hmm. I've got to control it. And some people can't do that. They can't step back and go, okay, if I explode right now, I'm literally, it's not that I'm going to do nothing. It's that I'm going to put myself back five steps. It's, I, I it's think just the, a perfection of your own control. I think this is a lot of useful, useful information for anybody listening. You can, you can mm -hmm. implement that to any part of your life, no matter what you do is like direct answers. If you don't know, say you don't know. Um, no, I think that's great advice for anybody. And that's, that's why you guys like on the teams and everything have narrowed it down and become so great is because of that like culture that you're saying you built that that's how it works. That's what you're supposed to do. If you don't know, say it. Mm -hmm. Um, so we don't want to take up a ton of your time, but there's definitely some things I wanted to ask. Um, yeah. I guess first, well, since we're, we were kind of leading this way, what was the selection for Delta? Like, you know, I'm super curious how you ended up. So you went from the teams and mm -hmm. then who it, I don't go ahead. Actually, I'll let you answer that first. No, it's, just, it's very, it's very individual. It's very like, they don't, there's no, they have no emotional involvement. It's like, it's like talking to the people that are running it, you know, without, without going into, into too much specifics, it's like being run by a bunch of robots. Like, <laughs> I was about to quick, ask like, you, could you tell, for, but, for people who don't know, because Chris knows, I kind of know, hmm. what exactly is Delta? It is a national mission unit. It's a, it's a strategic asset for the U.S. It's a special mission unit that does specialized or surgical operations, like raids or hostage rescue or stuff like that at an extremely high level. Um, it is part of the, you know, it, it falls under national command authority. So it's, it, it's controlled. JSOC controls it and, and NCA. It's a, it's, a, it's a national asset at the highest level for any type of surgical or specialized operation. And yeah. for people who, again, are unfamiliar, it is literally the elite of the elite. You're pulling from every branch. Astronauts. More people have been astronauts than Delta assaulters. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, because, because it's so many different branches of the military. I didn't know, like, who had like the overwatch of that, like who, if, I don't know if you say two, or not. There's two, us but. in the Navy, uh, the, the, you know, the um, dev group, and us are at, that, at the top of that chain. On, on the, we fall into the, in the same category. Um, and then it, the people are picked for, you know, areas of operation that they have unique experience in or specialized skills that they have that require certain things. But um, as far as the, the size and scope, Delta has kind of really um 
it's been it has been utilized uh, since the since the since the GWAT kicked off. Um, and is that by like extensively? Is that do you guys operate mainly from like direct order of the president or um, like no, general? Like no, nope, it falls under it falls under under Joint Special Operations Command, and I don't really know the command structure at that depth. But the, you know, JSOC gets their Joint Special Operations Command gets their directives from you know from from the behest of the president, like all of it does. But they are Sector. they are so much closer. It doesn't go through a bunch of different levels. It goes to the JSOC commander and whomever it is that's controlling it says, "Hey, we need to get this done, or we authorize this." And there's information that's pushed in both directions that comes from JSOC up, and they say, "Listen, we have we have the following information on the following things. Do you want us to act on it? Do we have authorization?" So it's like it's a at that level, it's it's. Um, one, it's kind of outside my wheelhouse. I didn't function at that level I, in the command staff kind of thing, but it's very high up the chain, and the, and the people that are running those organizations are very um, intimately familiar with the people that are that are making the big decisions at the top. Hey, uh, so Mike, without getting any into any specific missions you ran um, or any specifics of Delta uh, that you don't want to talk about, what would be because you kind of touched on it, but what would be a mission? to help crystallize what a Delta force would do. Could you give like an example of a mission they would run? Well, there's, there's stuff that's, that's open source that they've done. Um, they, uh, there's one called the Italian job where they went and they rescued some Italians that had been captured by Al Qaeda in Iraq. So they're doing, doing hostage rescue, um, going after, um, high end, uh, people within ISIS in other countries, that's all open source. Mm. It's very, and you, when you say you know, open source, deep, deep you penetration. mean that's out there. You in can the go public. on the internet and Google it. Copy that. And so yeah. when they drop a Delta team in, is it, is it five to 10 guys? And, and it's no idea. Could be mm. anything. It's, it's one to as many as it takes. How about that? Mm. It's literally, there's stuff that there's things that people do by themselves. There's things people do in giant groups. There's, yeah, and those missions are mission and and I wouldn't I don't know how to describe this, but off the radar, meaning they're kind of dropped in covertly. Uh, probably no, not. None, a, none of the none of the stuff is. It's like people aren't writing books about it. Right, you know? right. Guys aren't. It's it's not. It is. It is a um, very. I, I call it corporate, not in the pejorative sense, but it's a corporate place. It's like this is a this is run like a it's run like a cross between a business and a professional sport. Okay, it's run like a business because there's we have to achieve you know a certain certain tasks have to be or certain milestones have to be achieved etc on the staff side they're running it almost at a like a, like a corporate thing and then at the operator level we're just professional athletes with yeah. that's, that's what we, we train like if we here's an example like um you want to have like a, a climbing team one of the climbing teams wants to work on some you know uh urban climbing so they get like the top parkour guy in the freaking country and he comes out and this is how you, this is how you scale the side of buildings like like who knows? Maybe the dudes in the parking lot smoking dope. I don't care. We don't care. We don't want to hire the guy as an operator. We want to know what you know. So we'll bring in at every level the highest, the highest capabilities that we can learn from it, and then take it in house. And, and that means that that uh, what that applies directly to is the ability to function at every level from one guy to as many guys as we have to. Well, yeah, so I think you. Yeah, I think you told me you trained with like some of the Gracies before and certain things, yeah, and maybe have, that we, wasn't yeah, with them, had, but. Um, yep. so I know you don't want to touch too much there, which is fine. Um, but no, it's really okay. cool. It's, um, the, the selection part, there's something unique you'd ask me and we never finished that up. Um, the thing about the selection piece is that it's, it's, it's mentally, they'll, they'll literally, you could go there and they'll train you They'll train you to do everything you need to do right there in the, in the initial portion of it. Then you have to do it. So if you have no background, um, 
no military background, it would be a lot harder. That said, when you're going through it, the thing that's unique about it is, is that they, like I said, it's like, it's like being trained by a bunch of robots. They're managing the training and assessing you. It's like, there's, there's no emotion. Like when they talk to you, they'll ask you a question. Here's a perfect example. They'll ask you a question or they'll, they'll, they'll put, they'll put out information. Then they'll go, what are your questions? And then it's like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Okay. And they'll start to move along. You go, oh, excuse me. Like I have a question (laughs) too late. Like they don't, or, or they'll tell you something and they'll go, do you understand? Yes. Okay. And then you go back and go, okay, well, wait a minute, uh, sir. What was it? Uh, and they'll go, what were your last instructions? They won't answer your question because you just said, yes, they asked you if you understood and you said, yes, which means you understand. So either you, either you lied to me. Okay. Or you, you just don't understand either one. Like, I don't know, but they, there's a, there's a, there's an emotionless separation. Like they don't want, they don't want to, to motivate you. They don't want to dissuade you that it's like, dude, you're you. We want to see what you look like without any intervention, without any motivation in one way or the other, positive or negative. And so it's very unique. There's no screaming. There's no yelling. There's no, there's like, Hey dude, here's some hard shit. See if you can do it. And yeah, if you can't, thanks for showing up. They don't, they don't, they don't care. They don't care if you make it. They don't care if you don't make it. They're just like, dude, it's, and it's so some guys, it freaks out because they need somebody that, that, that guy that needs to be pushed. Come on, man, you can do it. Come on. They don't care. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to convince you to do shit that you can't convince you to do first. So it's like it an out. algorithm almost just not caring at all. But that's yeah. cool. I mean, that's what it takes and that's, that's what it takes to get in there. Um, yeah. that's super interesting and I like it. There, so now, right, let's move to now you run CTTS solutions. Yeah. What does CTTS stand for? First off, comprehensive technical and tactical solutions. Okay. And then, yeah, because, so I know you, but I'm just trying to frame this yeah. for everybody else. Yeah. You train everybody from civilians to, I think you've said, you know, I don't know about CIA people, anything like that. Government people, I, um, all across the spectrum, military, law enforcement, federal, other government agencies, all of it. Um, it's yeah, it's, um, I do, I do training and I do uh, program construction and consulting. So I help people revamp tra- their training programs in house. Um, I do consulting on weapons design for different companies and, you know, vetting and validation testing on certain, uh, you know, certain st- like people send me, they'll send me a, a gun and I'll, sh- I'll shoot it a bunch, like a lot. And then I'll tell them, you know, th- there's an issue with this, this, and this here's, you know, potential solutions, that kind of stuff. So I do, I do consulting on the technical side. Um, one of my, I've, I've, I've t- talked about, I've done, you know, I, I've done presentations like recovering from injuries and stuff like that, considering what happened to me. So yeah, yeah I do a lot of different stuff like that. One of my favorite things that you do, cause I, you know, been following you for a long time on Instagram <laughs> and you have no problem calling out bullshit training or things yeah. that you disagree with because, and I've seen you and you're, you're never like, you never like get super emotional about it and rage and anything. You're very good at being like, this doesn't work. And the people teaching you this have never actually been in that situation because you bring like real combat experience and uh, like a specific thing, you know, you and I have talked about before is you're talking about how certain police departments train cops to return fire through their own windshield while sitting in the car. Yeah. Right. And you're like, no, that, that's a terrible idea. The first thing the you should do. Because the bullet would not go straight, right? Uh, well, I mean, I'll let him go in on it, but that's a big yeah, topic for him. That is, yeah, that's, it's, a, it's funny you mentioned that because that's a, that's a microcosm. Anything that I see that like, I'm not, I'm not emotionally attached to my answers. I'm emotionally attached to the best answer. So if I come out there and we're out at the range, which is going to be in the next couple of months, we're out shooting 
And, you know, either one of you guys goes, hey, bro, why don't you do it this way? And you're right. I'll go, damn, dude, I never thought of that. Because you'll have a different perspective than me based on your experience. And I'll go, shit, let's try that out. And then when it works, I'll go, that's a freaking great idea. And I will, I will, I will integrate that into how I teach. And I will give you guys credit. Either one of you, like, hey, I got it. A buddy of mine who's not really a big, like he shoots, but he's not, that's not his main thing. He came up with it and it's brilliant. He saw it different. Like I'll always give people their credit. So I'm not, it's not about me. It's not self-aggrandizement, but I see a lot of guys that do that because it's a way for them to feel cool about themselves. Like, look at me, I'm on high as the instructor. And I'm like, I got my Super Bowl ring, dude. I'm cool. I, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need somebody's pat on the ass. I don't. But on the, on the vehicle side, there's stuff that you, there's, there are things that people do, like shooting from within a vehicle, okay? Stability, mobility, and situational awareness. If you're fighting, no matter what, like when you're, when you're doing MMA, what do you want? Stability. You want to stay on your feet. Mobility. You got to be able to move. Situational awareness. You got to know what your adversary is doing and be able to counter it. That's right. just fighting. I don't care where you are. If you're inside of a vehicle, you're in a box. I am contained in a box. You took away my mobility and my situational awareness. You limited my situational awareness and you took away my mobility. It would be like you going to a fight in a freaking chair. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> like you're going to get tuned up. Okay. And so when people teach this stuff, I look at it and go, what are, you, what are you getting by doing this? You're in a position where you can't actually resist effectively and you're teaching people to do it when, the, when it's, it's literally almost an unwinnable situation. And so that's the thing to me. I look at it in the, in the broader, the reason I call people out on stuff that they do, and I don't do it by name. Everybody knows who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about. That's the important part is that I look at this and I go, the things that, you're, that, that are being taught, okay, when they are, if they, if, if they actually do them can result in gunshot wounds. People can die because they did something that they were told will work, but it won't work. And I can tell you why it won't work. And I can give you another option. I can tell you exactly why that's better. So it's like, I just, I, I don't, you know, I still believe in it. I still want people to be, be, you know, be able to do things in a way that keeps them as safe as possible. I'm still on the side of the good guys. And so I, I don't, I don't, the, the ego part of it is the biggest downside. A lot of guys get in the, in the Instagram world and everything's, every day is perfect. And every, you know, it's like, it, it, it's not that way. Life isn't a perfect event. Okay. And it's also not, life isn't about you. It's not about you being cool. So people will give you money. It's about you having value to them. So they're willing to share their money with you in exchange for freaking knowledge. And then like, some like guys that. miss that whole point. And I'm like, yeah, We've had, that's been a constant theme on this podcast is to add value. So two, two questions. Uh, one is Gina and I talk about this a lot because when we started the company, Who's Gina? She is, she's basically, she's sitting back here actually, but uh, oh, yeah, she, she's co-founder co of the company. Uh, she runs the show here. Um, I'm just the front guy. She's the hidden boss. <laughs> she's the hidden boss. Uh, she's co-founder. She's also an, uh, a competitive shooter. She's, uh, she's one of us. Um, when we started the company with Sharon, who's also in the room, we ended up moving to a pretty rough area of Denver. Uh, first week we lived there, there was 14 homicides and uh, gang war. And so, nice. yeah, we were just in a tough neighborhood. And Gina and I used to joke uh, because it's kind of being gentrified. So you'd see it was just a crazy mix. You'd see like a girl running down the street in a sports bra who had no business being in that neighborhood, not paying any attention. And Gina and I it started sparking this wow. conversation between Gina and I where we would always talk about how unaware most modern women are of their surroundings. Mm -hmm. Uh, could yeah. you touch on that for like women listening to yeah. this? Cause, cause her yeah, and I, I talk about it constantly. Yeah. I actually taught, I taught, um, a while back I taught for slash with, uh, a woman out in California, women's firearms classes actually. 
and that was one of the things we talked about was just your day to day. Like she would, she would cater the whole thing. I was kind of the, I was the knowledge guy and she was in charge of, she was a DA in Compton for like seven years and was like, like really attractive, <laughs> like five foot seven Korean chick, super smart. And she ran it. But during lunch, we would talk about that and the awareness piece. Okay. Uh, awareness is going to save your ass way more than a gun or a knife or jujitsu or boxing or any of that. Like yeah. it's it's a lot easier to not be someplace when a like when a Conex box falls off of a truck than to try and get out from under <laughs> the Conex box yeah. that just fell off the truck. Like the awareness piece. The thing I see with women is being aware of your surroundings is a big one. Um, stop going. I should be able to walk anywhere I want. Like mm. you should, but you can't. Wait, Mike, real I quick. Can't walk anywhere I want. Can we like, back up on that? Because I think you glossed over one that's huge. What being aware of your surroundings? Could you give like an yeah. example, like? A few of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's one. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you two examples real quick. One of them is me when I first got married years ago. I, I took, I took my uh, now ex, but I took my my new wife at the time to Thailand. We went to Koh Samoy, which is an island off the coast, a real nice vacation place. Then I went. I took her to Bangkok to go to a place called Venus Jewelry, which makes yeah. it's legendary in the SF community. And the jewelry is really good. It's really inexpensive. All that stuff. So I take her there. We were walking through an open air market and um, I'm walking with her. She's a five foot six, you know, really good looking redhead with a huge chest. Okay. Just straight up. So she stands out in Thailand. Right. So I'm walking through there and everybody's looking at her like, wow, they build them differently over in America, don't they? Um, as I'm walking through, everybody's swirling around and they're buying stuff and they're like, it, it's um, like produce kind of stuff. I look up and what catches my eye is one dude is standing on one side in a shadow, not doing anything. And I look at him and I see him look across, like look in another direction. And I just follow his vision. And there's another guy on the other side. And I'm like, I just stop. I look at the one guy. He looks back at me and I just shook my head. I'm like, just no. And both of them looked at me. And then the dude just looked down. The other guy looked over to him. He just looked down and I walked through. It's like, Uh, they're looking to roll. They're looking for marks. But I saw it. Because I was, I was just aware something wasn't right. Okay. Something so you're saying to women, like, because I see, because Gina and I used to joke, we'd see these girls jogging with headphones on through this rough neighborhood. And you're like, number one, you couldn't hear if someone was coming up on you. You're in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> it's dark. Another one I it's, see all the time with women is always on their phone or on Instagram. So, like, they'll be pumping gas and they're just looking down. Yeah. That's the next one that it, when, I, when we taught the classes, I'm like, you are. If you look at it, just uh, the, the, the instance that I gave them, okay, this place called Fashion Island in, in LA. It's all, all the bougie places. It's filled with, you know, freaking Huntington Beach soccer moms and Range Rovers, right? <laughs> so if I'm going to target you, you drive up, I see some freaking hot Huntington Beach soccer mom and a $120,000 Range Rover, okay? I see you pull up and you get out. I don't care where you're going. I know where you're coming back to. And I'll just wait for you. I, I, so when you come back, okay, I've, I've chosen the location now because it's where you parked. I know you're going to come back here. I'll just wait. Uh. Okay. And they had a bunch of people robbed in parking lots and follows and all that. As soon as you get back, get back, get in your car, start it up and move, get off your fucking phone, get in your car and move, move 30 yards. Who yeah. Cares? But you just changed the attack site. You just moved. He planned. Okay. He planned to attack you in this one location for a reason. Move, just move. And then you know what? Pull off into an open area, pull out of the parking lot somewhere, and then get on your phone. But I see a, a lot of women, a lot of young girls, especially girls in their like, you know, from teens all the way into their, you know, freaking twenties, get in their car, start their car, and then get on their phone. I'm like, you just yeah. provided that that person a victim and a vehicle. Yeah. Like, Would you tell women too? Because uh, I do this. 
I think there's two questions here for me. One is people may be listening to be like, yeah, but who gets attacked? And I think it could happen to anyone at any given time, especially yeah. today. Number two is another one I do when I get out, uh, and especially I have family with me, but even by myself, even before I get out of the car, I scan my surroundings. I, I oh, look yeah. in the rear view. I, I look who's in the parking lot. I, is that yeah. something you would tell women too? Like even before you get Absolutely. out of a car, yeah. Absolutely. Don't even, if you pull in and some sketch dude starts walking towards your vehicle, just pull out and park somewhere else. Move. Yeah. Move. I tell them too, like that's the obvious, the, like the, the outside. Now, every chick that's listening to this will, will totally get it. You're in, a, you're in a department store, a grocery store, whatever. The dude that you keep seeing everywhere you go, every time you turn around, that dude's there. You go to the frozen food aisle, he's there. You go to the dry goods aisle, he's there. Okay? Once you recognize that this person just randomly turns up where you are all the freaking time, just stop and look at him. Just stare right at him. What you're doing is you're taking their anonymity away. They're, they're, they're stalking you, assuming that you don't know they're stalking you. When you stop, just look at him and be like, what? Like, just look <laughs> yeah. right at him. Women, women what, you do, what you've done is you've told them, I know who you are. I see you. And you're doing something weird and I'm noticing it. And they're either, the, the, the only options they have are to, to break off from you because you know who they are or to, you know, to execute the assault or whatever it is they're going to do right there, which they're not going to do. Because if they were going to do it, they would have done it from the beginning. So you take, you take their anonymity away. Okay. Yeah. You compromise them. But you, a lot of women won't do that because in the culture, if you, if you look at a dude and be like, what? People are like, oh, what, what a bitch. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Could have saved your life. Being a bitch is a lot better than getting your ass kicked or getting, or worse. Kidnapped. Yeah. Gina was yeah. telling me a story last night that, uh, one of her friends who's a cop or, and then has a friend that was in SF. Uh, I can't quite remember the, the hierarchy or how it happened, but mm -hmm. That her car started getting tagged by, um, they would put a zip tie. Yeah, that's a th I saw a video of that too. Uh, around the handle, and they were marking her for kidnapping. Uh, and her dad noticed the zip tie, and then taught her some, you know, some tactics mm -hmm. to get around it. But yeah, my point of that of saying that is that, ladies, Dick, it's not as safe as you think. Stay off your yeah. phone at the gas station. Be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. that's another big one too, man. Because like, the, the, if you're at a gas station, maybe if you think about it. Where would be the best place that you're guaranteed to be able to freaking steal a car or carjack somebody at a gas station? Yeah. And if you wait, guess what? You get a full tank of gas too. Like, it's, <laughs> That's so I, tactical. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, I, I, I get out, I get out, I pull up, I look at everything, you know, and I'm not neurotic. I call it professional vigilance. Think about it from mm. doing, like I know Chris and I did, do, do protection stuff. I'm aware of everything. I see everything. It's professional. It's not paranoia. It's professional vigilance. I love the way you frame that. what's going yeah. on. Yeah. So it's like, I go to a gas station, I see what's going on. I look around, think about it when you walk in, if you're like, if you're walking with your wife or your, you know, Chris, your chick, you walk into a freaking restaurant, you walk into a little like kind of pub restaurant, you think, what's the first thing I would bet that you, that, that both of you do? Cause I do it. I just look around. I see who's there. Yeah. Who's there? I look yeah. for exits like I just too. Take, take stock and okay, who might I have to deal with? Are these dudes over here getting liquored up? And are they like, are they look like trouble or are they just having a good time? Okay. Got a family over here chilling out. Like I just snapshot. Okay. What's the vibe? Okay. Mm. We're cool. If anything's going to be going to be fucking dicey, it's going to be those two dudes over there. Okay. Got it. And then I keep moving, but I don't just walk in and then you ask me, Hey, did you see those two guys in the corner all shit face drunk? I'm like, no, I had no idea. Like it's <laughs> that professional vigilance. It's not paranoia. I don't even think about it. That's just what I do now. And same thing in a gas station. I drive in, I look at the clientele. I look at the, you know, the area of town. Do I have to stop here? I've driven places, leaving, working with Tucson PD SWAT. I left and it was at night. I wanted to stop and grab a cup of coffee because I was freaking dying. I was so tired. It was like two in the morning. Bad part of town. Um, 
And I pull into a gas station just to grab like a quick stop just to get some coffee. I look around and I see a bunch of freaking, you know, a bunch of dudes with the top button buttoned and everything else unbuttoned all looking <laughs> at me, give me the freaking, and I'm like, I could go in here and I should be able to go in here and get coffee at two in the morning, but I really can't because I don't need a cup of coffee so bad that I have to shoot my way out to get to my car. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, guess what? Keep driving. It is what it is. That awareness, if I wasn't aware because I'm tired and sleepy and all that, and I pull in, now I'm in a position, now I've, I've taken an action that I can't undo. So yeah. awareness for women, be aware of what's going on in everything you do. Keep your head up, okay? It, it's, it's when you're out in public, you're in an unknown environment, okay? If it's so important that you have, that you get on your phone, okay, then I get it. But everything isn't that important. You don't need to be texting with one of your girlfriends. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw Jim. He's doing good, but he's blah. Dude, <laughs> take care of your business and then get on with it. But but you're, 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 you're creating a point of exposure where you can be exploited by a lack of awareness. Yeah. Mike and I, uh, we worked in an event a while back together. And that was kind of the thing, like the situational awareness. Like when you pay attention, you notice people that stand out. And one thing we were doing, it was a, it was a concert. So we were kind of like marking people. You know, we had radios and yep. everything. And or we had a group message going, but like it was at a concert where everybody's having a great time and we we're marking the people that just kind of stand there and look like they're not having a great time because mm. they stand out, yep. right? Everybody should be cheering and singing and whatever. And then, you know, the ones that just stand there angry looking, like, all right, keep an eye on this I person. That. Like here's seat, row. We had like an ongoing list and then wow. you just pay attention because yeah. why is everybody having fun? And then one person just seems to look like they don't even want to be there, but they bought a ticket. Yeah. Just yeah. shit like that. Like I go places yeah. if we go out and everybody's having a great time and you see the one angry person standing there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always Boy. look for exits too. Yeah. Like where's my exit strategy? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, yeah. if something happens. Yeah. I think that the thing like for, for anybody, but for women out there, pattern recognition, look at people that don't fit. They, they don't fit the pattern. You walk into Starbucks and it's the summertime and there's a dude with a freaking long coat on standing in the corner. Like, yeah. I, you should, that should jump right up. You know, one of the things in, 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 you see it in training, I know what right looks like, okay? And I, it will be seamless. I will see something that's correct. I walk around all day long and the, the things that I notice are the things that stand out. Yeah. I mean, if you mm. think about it, what do you know? You, you walk down the street in, in you know, Denver. You, you don't notice everybody, but you notice the guy with the cane who's hobbling or you notice the like really crazy hot chick that's walking around in, in her freaking Under Armour jog bra or whatever. Like you notice things that are, that are, that are anomalous. They don't, they're not the norm. That, that's, whoa, you don't see that very often. You don't see a guy with a cane and a whatever. Like that, that type of awareness, you should be tuned into that because there's always cues. There's always something weird. People do, that do weird shit, they always act weird too. They're always in inappropriate places doing inappropriate stuff, mildly so, but you'll pick them out and go, that's weird. That didn't make sense. Like, why is that dude just sitting there in the yeah. middle of nowhere? Why is he dressed a certain way? Why, is, why does he have just the demeanor? You know, yeah. it, it's every chick that I've ever known has gone, man, I don't know, like this, this dude just creeped me out. I don't know what it was, creeped me out. My ex was at a car wash. This dude was standing behind her and she called me. She's like, oh my God, I just, I just, the creepiest dude was behind me. Like she was almost frantic, okay? I'm like, easy, man, you know, whatever. Did he do anything? Did he say, no, 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 he just creeped me out, creeped me out. Okay, fast forward, three weeks later, we're sitting, she's sitting on the couch. I'm in the kitchen freaking grabbing something to drink and I hear, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, whoa, what the, f I run in there. She's like, that's him, that's him. I'm like, that's who? That's the guy that was in the car wash. I look up, and the dude had been arrested for uh, two rapes. Jeez. Yikes. 
Yeah. And it was his demeanor. There was something about the way he, you know, the way he looked, the way he looked at her, the way he stood there, the, the there's something about his body language that cued her. And there's other stuff that people talk about the whole, you know, the vibe thing. Um, but she recognized it. Gut and instinct. You know Mm. Yeah, it is. It's like, be aware. And truthfully, they say from the psychology side, they say women are better at that because over time, it, from a from a um, evolutionary perspective, the ones that weren't perceptive in that in that regard ended up getting smoked. Like, like you better you better realize if that dude's dangerous or not. Yeah. And, yeah. and over time, they just be their their perception of 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 threat is women that are aware. Are, honestly, I think are 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 pretty freaking amazing at. It. They can look at people like, no, like that dude's weird. You're like, yeah. what? He didn't do anything. You're like, no. And later on, you go, damn, girl, you're right. That dude was weird as fuck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's my best friend, Chris. I know. He's strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike. Well, yeah, Mike, this has been. Go ahead, buddy. We kept you two hours, man. Sorry about that. I told you I was like, probably an hour. Um, but, worry, man, man, I know your story. The with the boys, man. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Bro, we appreciate you so much. This was so awesome. And uh, we need to get care packages out. Let's book a trip. Yeah. Yeah, man. I Thank know you, you so much. Totally. I feel like we could have done four hours, but we appreciate your time, and this is great. I think you gave a lot of useful stuff for anybody out there. You know, even though they were some of them were military stories, they translate to real life. And yeah, I agree. Any any aspect of life. So. Thank Just you. remember, don't smuggle a million dollars anywhere more than once. <laughs> <laughs> That's duly noted. Yeah. Mike, thank you, bro. You're the best, buddy. 